Get ready to experience the pulse of the outdoor community as we dive into the stories of people's journeys into the outdoor world. Hello, just some quick updates on this podcast and things that have gone on in this past week. So in the past week, two episodes have been released on other podcasts where I was a guest One is called Hiking Through Life, where I talk about my experiences with climbing and skiing and things like that. And then the other one is the 20 Till Takeoff podcast, where I talk about fears and how traveling and my outdoor sports have affected that. Outside of that, I am releasing this episode a day late because I was in the mountains all weekend and I was not able to get the full episode completed and edited before Monday. So we will be back to the normal schedule next week. Thank you and let's jump into this interview. Welcome to the Outdoor Pulse. I am Mitch Dean, your host, and today we have on Mike Whitaker. He's an avid outdoorsman and a graduate from Ohio State University. So how's it going, Mike? It's going good, man. Had a long, hard day at work, and I'm just excited to be chilling on the podcast. You know, this is going to be a new thing for me, one of my first podcasts I've ever been on, so it's going to be great. Awesome. Cool. So we're going to jump right into it, and uh, we're just going to start off with uh, kind of how you got into the outdoors and what kind of your first steps into it were and uh, how that kind of looked and just kind of go from there. All right. Um, well, so the outdoors for me, I got into it at a very, very young age. I have a pretty outdoorsy family. Um, when I was really, really young, I think the first outdoor activity that I ever did before I knew I was doing it was like going camping with my dad. Um, we used to live in uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado, uh, way back in the day. And um, before that, I mean, okay, when I was born, I was born in Columbus. Okay, my dad was uh, graduate school at Ohio State. My mom was working at Bank One downtown Columbus, and I was born here. And we lived in Pataskla, and there was a a big swath of woods behind the house. But when I was uh, about, I'd say about one and a half, two is when we, or one year old was when we moved out to Colorado, lived there for the first few years of my existence. And uh, the dad got really big into rock climbing and camping and backpacking when they lived out, when we lived out in Colorado. So I, like some of my first memories are playing it on, in a, we had a creek in our backyard and a big rock that, like was in our front yard, like a big, like a freaking big boulder that we called Mike's Peak because Pike's Peak was just down the road from Colorado Springs, and so that was uh, where we grew up. So I have like photos of me climbing at like age three or something, like just some super easy, more more or less, dad pulling me from the top up up thing and me like slowly moving my hands, thinking I'm actually climbing, and I'm yeah. like, oh, I'm so good, but I was like three <laughs> years old. And then I think we have a family video, like one of those old VHS tapes of like my mom recording us and some lady next to her was like standing at the bottom and she said, does his mother know he's doing that? And like my mom was like, yes, I do. And it's, it's great. I love this. And it, that was, I think, probably one of my first outdoor memories was like going to the Garden of the Gods in Colorado Springs and then playing in a creek in the backyard and then climbing on this little 
boulder that we had. And that was like the beginning. Okay. Yeah. Very quickly transitioned into like, uh, fishing and, and hunting, uh, soon after hunting was a little later, but my, like my, the whole of my family are fishermen, um, on both sides, my, my grandfather, my dad's side and my, my grandfather, my mom's side, both very big fishermen. And so like, I grew up like doing that and that's, I still to this day, I'm like really into it. It's ridiculous how much yeah. money, time and like effort I put into fish. Yeah. <laughs> I even like, that's my job also is uh, I work as a fisheries uh, technician for MBI yes. and then I float around to different agencies doing fish work as a technician, but then looking for some full-time fisheries ecologist position uh, somewhere. So gotcha. it's, that's the current existence. So what uh, fishing did you start off getting into out in, cause it was out in Colorado. Was it, fly it was fishing in Colorado. Was it, was it fly fishing or was it really, really fishing? young? So I was doing like bobber fishing for like in like trout ponds and creeks and uh the um the i have a picture i would like bucket hat wearing like little tiny tackle box shirt okay with my with my pap with my grandfather my dad's side and just holding like this little tiny rainbow trout that i caught out of this little stalker pond on like a piece of corn or like a worm or something and like the biggest like shit-eating grin on my face <laughs> of any child that i've ever seen so it was that was probably the first time i was really like oh my god this is so cool Fast forward a little bit. So my sister was born in Colorado and then we moved to Ohio, back to Ohio, moved to like the Cleveland area uh, between Cleveland and Akron. Yeah. And the outdoors continued for me there because we had a pond at the end of our neighborhood. And I got the, I then learned that there were fish in this pond and I could walk there with a fishing pole and then like just no one knew I was gone. Like I'd be, I'd just get home after school, get off the bus, put my backpack in the garage, walk to the other side of the garage, take my one fishing pole I had at the time and just chill out, like leave, deuce out, not tell my parents I was going anywhere. I would get like, I would get in so much trouble because I was gone to go fishing like all the time. One day I think I even woke up and like, before like this before school and just went there and like missed the school bus because I was fishing and my mom tanned my hide <laughs> or something. I think I don't I don't remember per se, but I got in a lot of trouble. <laughs> and that continued throughout my life, getting in trouble for doing outdoor things I probably should have been doing school things during that time. Um, oh, wow. that that was a, a constant <laughs> factor. Um but caught my first like big bass when I was like six or seven years old. And at the time it was like as long as my arm Today that probably would have been like like an eighteen inch fish, which is like around like three and a half, four pounds, eighteen inch, depending on like how fat it is, but yeah. largemouth bass. I don't know how much you know about fishing or not, but um that was like what really like hooked me as a good pun. But uh it was bass fishing then became like my like what I did. Cause I moved away from Colorado, so we didn't really go rock climbing a ton uh when I moved like to Ohio initially. And so like then the next, like, let's see, how old am I? Like seven. Yeah. The next eight years was like very fishing heavy with some like hunting trips thrown in there. I was, yeah. me and dad started hunting because dad, uh, my mom's side, my grandfather was a like world champion duck caller. Okay. I don't know if he ever entered a tournament, <laughs> but he was good enough to be like, like that was his thing was duck hunting, duck hunting and like going crappie fishing. That was, that was his two things. And so we, 
I very young age memories of going out to like the duck blind and sitting there and freezing my butt off, but like super enjoying myself with like a little BB gun and everybody else has like full out like 12 gauge shotguns. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there thinking like, maybe I can get one. If something flies over, just lands like 10 feet from the, from where I'm sitting, I might be able to get one. But it was, that was my first real introduction to hunting. And then from there, like, like there wasn't really too much YouTube or like online media when I was young. Like you had like TV, like hunting TV yeah. that you could watch. And I was like, Oh my gosh, people go deer hunting. And dad had a pair of antlers that from a buck that he shot like forever ago. And he gave those to me when I was 10, 11, 12, sometime in that range. Yeah. And so I played with these freaking antlers like all the time thinking like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to go shoot a deer or something at some point. And so I think I was, 13 or 14 I went on my first ever deer hunt which was like the I think we went up to the to western Wisconsin in Eau Claire my mom's cousin Mike Mike Smith he has like 150 acres up there of a farm that we went and I sat in the rain in this in the tree stand with my dad and first off like I had a, I had no fear of heights when I was like real little Okay. None at all. No fear of heights whatsoever. The Probably first time we went, <laughs> right, right, right. Growing up Colorado Springs and having your dad drag you up rocks. At exactly. Like, I didn't know what, what fear of heights was. I had no, no concept of fear of heights until, um, <laughs> until I went deer hunting the first, it was like, I think it was maybe the second time we went out for the season. And like the first season we just went out cause we were going, it was like early doe and we went out to try to shoot one didn't see anything at all and then the reason we only had it for doe season was because we were going to south dakota for another trip i'm going to talk about all the places i've been in a little bit but this is just like a chronologic timeline of things that have like developed who i was as an outdoorsman yeah. um so we were the next year i don't know where if you are following or not um the next the next year was I was like, I've done a, bunch of, uh, done a bunch of research and I was ready to go. We even went out and bought me my own rifle and like everything. And I shot it and it hurt my shoulder. And I was like so excited that it was such a big gun and everything. And so we went the next year and dad sent me up the tree stand first. And I was like, all right, sure. Just climb this ladder, get up to the top. And so you're only up there like 17 feet. Yeah. But when I got to the top, I had my rifle with me. Like I, I, I had it on a string. I pulled it up all the hunter, hunter safety and tree stand safety and everything I, I learned, I was following the rules, right? Pulled it up, put it next to me. And then dad was going to follow me up. But then dad decided it would be funny to take the tree stand ladder and just shake the crap out of it while I was up there to just be like, Hey, you're not going to fall. It's not going to come down. I actually thought, Oh my God, I'm going to die. And so that then instilled a fear of heights into me when I was like, 13 or 14 years old okay and that stuck with me and ladders i still don't like ladders i never will again like ladders ever okay because of this experience <laughs> um but the uh the, I, I kind of got like a fear of heights in me from that kind of experience that which took me until like i guess mid to late high school to kind of get over yeah. to where i was get, starting to get back into climbing again because I realized that, oh my gosh, there's a climbing gym like three minutes from my house. And why haven't I been climbing for like most of high school? And so 
I started going to the gym and like kind of slowly got over my fear heights. And then college, Ohio State, rock gym every other yeah. day. Yeah. No problem, you know? So that was – and I still don't like ladders. I really hate ladders because it's <laughs> – okay, when you're rock climbing, you know this. When you're rock climbing, the rock is solid. There's no yeah. way that that rock's – I mean, to a point, if it's like loose sandstone and flaky, you could bust stuff off. But if it's rock – it's solid. It's not moving. Yeah. What you're climbing is not moving Plus, at all. You're Jeez, on a rope. Not moving. You're on a rope. You're on a rope. You're safe. So. Yeah. Only but thing ladders, that can dude. Is decking. <laughs> yeah, you could deck. You could blow a hold, miss a miss a hold, miss a dyno deck a little bit, but yeah. or flip over and hit smack the wall, like I did when we went to the red that one time. Um, yeah. But uh, the uh, but ladders are not secure. They're not attached to anything unless like I'm talking about like leaning ladders. If you're yeah. talking like the little scissor ladders that open up, those are fine because you're not super high. You're not like that's the forces are good, but like the leaning ladders are what mess with me. And everybody who listens to this podcast be like, man, this kid's a wimp. Ladders <laughs> are fine. Ladders are easy. Whatever, guys. <laughs> that's just the thing. <laughs> a ladder clamp that you can get for ladders that you clip to a gutter and it just makes it <laughs> more sturdy. But you have to clip it on still. So Yeah, you still have to be at the top of the ladder to clip it on anyway. It's not like you yeah. can like rappel from a distance and like clip the thing, then get to the bottom, then climb the ladder. Like if you're like, I don't know. Just afraid That's that you're not, gonna pull a um a Christmas vacation. A Clark off. Clark Griswold. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that movie. Fall down and anyway. <laughs> where the hell was I before I went on this ladder tangent? <laughs> Let's see. Well, you're kind of going through how you got into hunting, which mm-hmm. you you had a family that's super into the outdoors, which is awesome yeah. for getting into outdoor things when mm-hmm. a lot of people uh, that I've talked to, they, they don't get into it until they hit college and they meet people that mm-hmm. are already are doing into it. it. Yeah. Right. And I'm sure you've experienced it. And I have too. I've gotten some friends into skiing. I've gotten some friends mm-hmm. into climbing and the thing about a lot of these sports and activities is unless you know someone actively in it, mm-hmm. it's really kind of a little bit intimidating and hard to get into. So I yeah, think it's awesome being on the side where you are able to bring people on and show them that it's really mm-hmm. not too crazy. For you, were you really set up by your folks or were you, did you just develop this thing so, and like a longing to try it? A little bit of a mix. So climbing was mm-hmm. not family, but my dad is uh um, big, he skis a lot and he got me Mm -hmm. into skiing when I was like five and, uh, Mm -hmm. camping and things like that, hiking and all those things. And I'm actually um, wearing Breckenridge sweatshirt. This is where that's how same kind of deal. My, my dad got me into skiing the same way on a leash. (laughs) My dad taught me how, uh, right away with, uh, um, without, which he's like at such a young age, all, all you have to do is just stand behind him let him hold a um hold the pole so he'd hold the pole over my head and i'd Mm -hmm. grab on and then he'd steer me and that taught Mm -hmm. me how to turn and taught me how to do everything so pizza french fry he got me over the pizza pretty quickly just because Mm -hmm. being able to hold that because he would hold the uh the poles for the skis Mm -hmm. like right in front of me so i'd be holding on like this and i couldn't pizza because his his skis were on the outside of my skis so ah, it started okay. off but he he got me to which is it, a genius way of teaching a little kid how mm-hmm. to ski because like mm-hmm. you're able to do that and it helps with getting past the 
because that French fry, <laughs> you can, you don't know if you're going, going straight <laughs> and you don't know how to stop. So yeah, stopping. He, I remember I still, I, I kind of remember cause I was like five or six, but I, I remember stopping was one of the first things he taught me. And then just turning as long as you can turn and stop, you can go down pretty much any, any hill. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's how, I mean, that was kind of my initial kind of getting into it when I was, uh, mm-hmm. but outside of that, I didn't really get into anything big outdoors until college. Like I went to college mm-hmm. and was introduced to met climbing. The mountaineers. <laughs> yeah. Met the mountaineers, got into climbing, got into everything else, got more mm-hmm. into skiing, skied out West for the first time and just fell in love with the mountains. And mm-hmm. the mountains are once you're, once you're there once it's like, you, you always kind of want to get back. So at least yeah. that, at least that was mine thus moving out here back in May. So, right. Yeah. So congratulations on yeah. being in Colorado, dude. That's, uh, feels that's, great. that's the dream. That's yeah. the dream. So happy to be out here. It's, it's nice being so close to all the uh, activities in the mountains and feels like mm-hmm. a vacation. Honestly, I'm like, am I just on a forever vacation now? Or mm-hmm. is this like real? <laughs> so it's definitely, if, don't want too many people moving here because, but no, it, it's okay. If, I mean, it's, it's pretty populated fun. already, yeah, but, yeah. but I, I mean, you can't, it's shared. I mean, we can all share the mountains. It's, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So man, we but, can get into public land stuff too during this podcast. It's <laughs> going to be a great time. I'm so excited for all the rabbit holes we're going to dive into. Oh yeah. The, sure. um, 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 what, so going back to being like thankful about having an outdoor family. Yeah. It's, it truly is like something special to be able to like introduce somebody and see them like a light click on in their head. Like, Oh, this is something so cool and so magical that I've never been exposed to. Like, that's my favorite part about fishing, hunting, climbing, and like any sort of like outdoor recreation that I am like fairly versed in, or at least to a point, like I'm not a professional in any, in anything enough that you can get someone started in it. I mean, it doesn't take much to get to the point where you can drag someone to a rock gym with you and, get them on a wall for the first time right and like pressure your roommate into doing the freaking yeah. like the five nine that he is like <laughs> shaking holding on to something like come on dude it's only like seven more feet you can grab that hold come on step stand up come on use your legs like it's so it's so fun to just like and then when they say they can't in the bottom it's like let go and they're like i can't let go it's like well you're, you have two choices <laughs> <laughs> either go up and then let go or let go now and come down now so exactly no, I love it. The, um, let's see. That's so the hunting tangent. Anyway, as far as like, I'll, I'll finish out hunting and then I'll yeah. go back into a couple of the other things. Yeah. Sounds so, good. uh, deer hunting really took off for me when I got into bow hunting. I've always been into archery. That's another thing that like, as like, as soon as we moved to Ohio, dad got me a little tiny bow that I then shot the house with and <laughs> like sent an arrow like straight up one time, like in the backyard. And we don't live in a big area. Like we don't have a lot of land at all. So like it landed in like some neighbor's property somewhere. I never found that arrow. Like I got in trouble for that when I was real young and I had my, my stuff taken away from me because I was making dumb, dumb decisions because I was a child. Um, but the, I mean, I feel like every kid makes dumb, dumb decisions, especially when you give them like a semi weapon. Um, (laughs) but, uh, be safe kids. Um, the, I really got into archery 
pretty heavy when I was in like early high school. I got my first, or it was 2012. I got my first like legitimate compound bow that was not a hand-me-down. Like I used to use my uncle's like 1987 Panther Martin compound that shot like 65 pounds. And it was, I put an arrow through a deer with that bow and never, never found the deer. And that's like a whole thing. Like, I don't know how much you know about hunting or anything, or if you've had anybody on that's talked about hunting. Uh, Um, Like that is probably like, my uncle's been hunting since he was in high school. So, and he has a bunch okay. of, he's, he's got a bunch of big bucks and he, his son actually just got his first deer last season. So, Oh really? His son's That's uh, awesome. in like eighth, I think it was eighth grade, seventh grade, but mm-hmm. yeah, no first nice. deer for his son. And it was a big moment. Are they in Ohio? Yes. Yes. Nice. Down in Cincinnati. Yeah. They the, go uh, out to my uncle's farm out in Indiana. Uh, he has a bunch of acreage mm-hmm. that they, that they'll go out to. I, I don't know That's if it was nice. there though. I, I know that he has a couple different places that he's gone to and friends and he's, okay. a, sal- he's a salesman. Mm-hmm. So he has a bunch of connections all over the place. That's really convenient. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the, yeah. So it was early high school. I got my first bow that was like legitimately new my first bow and I still have it and I still use it. I shot, I've shot a couple deer with it. It's it still works. I will upgrade, but I'm going to keep that thing for a long time because I like it. Uh, but I shot I the first year I got that bow, I think it was two thousand and fourteen. No. It was two thousand and thirteen when I got it. It was a two thousand twelve bow, so like a year old. And then in two thousand fourteen, I think I shot my first like or t- you know, it was two thousand thirteen. I was I was a junior in high school. I shot my first buck with a bow and I was instantly hooked. I was like, this is the coolest thing that I can do in the woods in fall hunting wise and like because yeah. it's hard to, to describe anything that happens i mean you have family that hunt so that i'm sure they've ex- like tried to explain yeah, like what goes it, on but i it, will never like, know you sit there actually do it and i know that try it it's, yeah it's, it's something that i've always but i always do so many other things that's been one of those things that's like i want to get into yeah, it finding but it's yeah, finding, finding time, time to do it and, yeah mm-hmm. but, yeah so it's not an, it's not and especially archery like you have to be like on your game like practicing all the time to just be ethical to where like you know like you can make like a good shot on something and so like in it's it's, i'll talk about this a little later too i have a i have a clock i have a biological clock where my brain shifts into whatever outdoor phase it wants to okay and it as the seasons roll okay i shift into these phases of like which outdoor activity i'm focusing focusing on and my parents hate it I kind of hate it, but I kind of love it. Like it's, yeah. uh, it's, there's Just literally like a biological shift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Craziness. And I'll give you the month by month play by play. It's crazy. Um, like right now I'm heavy into deer prep cause deer, and this started like mid August is when like the, it real, or even late July is when I like started thinking about it because fishing was starting to kind of suck. And then the summer transition and fishing was like, meh. And then, transition to that like you start to see deer walking around with antlers a little bit because they're growing their stuff yep and then it hits you like a ton of breaks as soon as that first cold snap hits where it's like it goes from like 85 during the day to like 65 and you're like oh boy yeah we just had we just had a bigger one (laughs) we just went from 100 to oh yeah you guys have just got snow right (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) we went from 100 degrees and 24 hours dropped down below below freezing so about a 70 degree shift in a 24 hour period. 
So it was typical, a wild. <laughs> typical Colorado. And I, I thought, I thought <laughs> the Midwest shifted a lot and you could go through all. And I'm like, Oh, no, this takes the cake. <laughs> yeah. You'll get, you'll get every season in a day out West and you'll get every season in a week in, in the Midwest. Yeah. But no, it's, that's crazy. The, um, the, uh, the biological clock that happens to me, uh, we'll go through it right now. So we'll start at the beginning yeah. of the year in January. All right. Month one. Okay. If it's snowy, which sometimes it's not in Ohio. Okay. There's a very good chance yeah. that I'll go ski a couple times. Okay. Because I grew up skiing. I, I like to ski. It's not my like favorite winter sport, winter activity to do, but it's definitely up there. Cause I have a bunch of friends who like to snowboard and ski and, and where like, back home is where my parents house is it they like i think 15 minutes from boston mills and brandywine up there so like as a kid growing up i was a that was where we went to on the weekends when it was snowing so that's definitely a thing that happens after i get that itch out of the way not that it's an out of the way thing i know you love to ski okay <laughs> but um skiing it's one but, of those that's that's definitely my big winter sport and that's mm-hmm. it, it's it's nice to i'm looking forward to the first season full season out here so yeah yeah that's and are you going to like what's your favorite place to ski out there that i've been to so far i've been to mm-hmm. copper uh my copper favorite. mountain copper was my favorite partially because we got 17 inches dumped on us and like one day so that's fantastic kind of helps a little bit and made it really nice but the other years we went to aspen and aspen mm-hmm. school too but i've not really been anywhere outside of that and then um i when i have came you- out here with my dad and sisters i went to steamboat but this mm-hmm. winter i have a basin and loveland passes so I'll you should those. try breck i'm planning on point. trying a couple different ones i've heard breck and vale since they're yeah. right past it and yeah yeah that's where when we when we lived in Colorado, Breckenridge was where we went skiing, and that's like, I guess, I haven't been there since I've like I have not skied there since I was like three, so I don't really have a good like I was twenty one years ago, which seem which is crazy to say. Need to get out here again for sure. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> I'm trying to plan. I'm trying to plan out west trips. I have an Idaho elk hunt next year with my buddy Jason. I have that we're trying to like lock down. It was going to be this fall because I was going to have a full-time job that got canceled because of COVID. I was, I, yeah. which sucked. <laughs> um, and then I was like, we were slated to go out there, but then also COVID um, like a bunch of crap. But I feel like, I mean that everybody's situation is the same with stuff getting ruined and things going wrong, all the crap. Anyway, not going to include that too much more in the podcast. It's weird, whatever. weird couple months for everybody in the outdoors and how it's yeah. affected and, how it's affecting the work because we're hearing how it's affecting like the uh, ski season down in uh, um, where is it? Um, Australia. Um, Cause Australia has some resorts that are owned by is it Vale or Aspen. I forget which pass they're on in but, Australia. There's yes. skiing in Australia. Dude, yes. I never knew that. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. And they're, and they're uh, kind of sounding off with like how the, because they're owned by the Vale system and the mm-hmm. system that they're using down there is the system that's going to be in place up here. And it's okay. a, uh, you have to like reserve a, like if you, you, you know, your day that you're going, you have to reserve your spot and it's, it's a, so there's like number limited of, number of people yeah. on the mountain. Yeah. And it's based on percentage. So if the mountain's 50% open, it's 50% capacity. So it's kind of been a little bit of a mess down there from what I've heard. 
So we'll see how everything clears up and how that works out exactly this mm -hmm. winter. But I know that a basin's not going to be having a reservation system. They're going to limit the number of passes that they put out, but Got you. other than that, they're, they're planning on being fully operational and which is kind of nice to know in advance. Mm -hmm. So, but obviously that can all change. So mm -hmm. we'll see what happens. Talking about the availability of a resource. This is like a huge thing with COVID and like the outdoors and sh stuff that's gone on. I'm sorry. Can yeah. I, or can I not swear? Cause I almost dropped yeah. this. Yeah. Go, okay. go. I, it Shit. doesn't need to be anyway. completely clean. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the amount of fishing pressure that happened due to the pandemic, due to people not working, and like the amount of people going out and buying fishing licenses and going fishing, was there was actually a huge spike this year. In, and I don't know if you are aware of this, but like recruitment of people that partake in those activities is constantly from at least, I think, the 60s. It's been on a decline yeah. of like people every year not buying a hunting license, not buying a fishing license. And like a majority of licensed owners and holders for right now are people that are in their like 60s, 70s that are those old timers that have just been buying one since they've been around in the 60s. So as soon as that population of, of in, this, in this case, baby boomers, you know, are gone, then we're going to have a lot less people buying tags and licenses, which is going to actually equate to a lot less funding for our outdoor recreation um, because yeah, also, hunters and fishermen um, uh, population control problems with that and yeah, with uh, wildlife overpopulation and mm -hmm. all that stuff. So yeah, mm -hmm. which for at least in the Midwest, like white-tailed deer are pretty well overpopulated to a point. I mean, we've got bag limits in in each of the counties in Ohio that are different based on deer population. So like for example, like the highly human population counties so franklin county summit county erie uh like the one that toledo's in i don't know the name of, name of that county uh yeah. the one that cincinnati's in all of those have like a four deer per person limit um which is crazy to think that like there's that many deer that like we need to make sure that everybody gets their amount so that yeah. way there's like a, a controlled herd but when okay so you think about colorado and i know a little bit about colorado for as far as like an elk standpoint okay which are yeah huge ungulate animals that walk around that taste super good. Okay. Colorado has the <laughs> largest elk population of any of the Western States, a 300,000 head of elk, um, which is not really a ton when you think about it, you know, like when you compare that to numbers of like whitetail. And so the good and thing about like, isn't it the, uh, I, I forget the, so you got the whitetail and then out here you got the mule deer, mule right? deer. Yes. There's also whitetail. Um, okay. So like the deer species in the United States, you have, uh, white-tailed deer, you have the coos deer, which is a subspecies of the white-tail, you have uh, mule deer, which can then be separated in, into like the Rocky Mountain variety and then the desert variety, and then you have elk, which are all the same species, but then there's like little different like subsects, there's like Roosevelt elk, there's, um, I don't, people out west are going to give me crap, but like I don't know all the different varieties, there's yeah. Roosevelt, there's uh, like ones that are on the west coast, there's ones that are in the Rockies. There's ones that are in the South, like around like Arizona, New Mexico. And they all have like their own name, um, sort of the same way that like there's like Midwestern whitetail, there's Southeast, Northeast, Western. There's a bunch of different varieties. And they're all the same species, yeah. but like they get different colloquial names. And, and there's like slams where people can yeah. go out and shoot them and whatever. 
anyway, before you saying? get a little bit further, um, what, how old were you when you begged your first uh, deer? First deer, 15 years old. And it was a little, like a, not a spike. It was a little fork horn buck. He had like two little dudes <laughs> up like this. And I shot him by, I was by myself in a, in a little tripod, like elevated stand at my mom's cousin's place. And like, I had missed a, like there was a doe that walked out in front of me at like 40 yards that I completely missed. Somehow I was using a rifle with a scope on it. Really. It's not that hard. You just point and shoot, but I was just shaking so freaking bad that I completely shot like your under first it. Deer, so yeah. yeah. The nerves shot were, under, you got your nerves. Oh, way you're out shaking of... like a leaf. It's crazy. It's absolutely ridiculous how much adrenaline you get when you, when like, cause it's life and death, you know, like yeah. you're dealing with this whole thing. All these emotions are coming out of nowhere. You're like, I didn't think I was going to feel like this when I, as soon as I pulled the trigger and I missed and I was like, Oh my God, like, thank God, but crap. You know, <laughs> like I missed, like it was a clean miss. So that's great, but I missed. So I don't get the, the meat. And the thing is like, I'm definitely, a, a, am in it for the meat. And if it's a big buck with a big antlers, like awesome. But yeah. I really do enjoy eating venison. Like that's the, like Deer that's meat probably the, it's so good. <laughs> tough. Yeah. Deer it's, meat's amazing. Uh, it's so good. It's, it's healthy. It's delicious. It's, it's locally grown, organic, sustainable, you know. Um, I need to have some elk out here at some point. I do know that. I've been you told need that to find not you need to find a friend that goes <laughs> elk hunting. And my my buddy Jason, who I've been I've brought up now three times in the podcast, yeah. love you buddy. Um he uh he just shot his first cow elk in Idaho and nice. so if uh if I make it out there before he eats it all, which will be hard because <laughs> it was like 350 pounds of meat off that thing. That's I might lot, try yeah. some. Yeah. <laughs> so, um but uh the uh let's see where the heck was i um talking about the pressure that has been put on by like everybody that's a non-fisherman non-hunter non-outdoorsman that's going out into the woods it's been crazy like like all of my local spots like around cleveland and akron and columbus that i had that i've fished forever and like never really see anybody out there ever have been absolutely hammered by joe schmo regular schmucks that come out and like i'm gonna go fishing today and like burn my spot but like at the same time i'm happy that people are getting outside yeah but there's like the double-edged sort of like i had this to myself yeah i was now catching I all these fish now, now i need, I need to, to share find a new place find a new right place. And, and it forces further into the wilderness further away into from the people. deep yeah. yeah it's it's good and bad but yeah. it's more so good as far as like the recreation and the use of the resource and people like buying their buying the licenses and like providing funding. Like that's what I was going to go into earlier is like yeah. hunters and fishermen were kind of snobby about this deal, but we provide like a ton of resource and access or access to our resources that we have based on like the amount of funding yeah. that we put into it because there's like all those different so, bills that Colorado were placed. Colorado just came out with a law that mm-hmm. is limiting uh, people from – because their their public lands got slammed same as a bunch of other ones because of Mm -hmm. covid right and uh it's the wildlife preserves unless you have a license for fishing or hunting you're not allowed to go in there else you will get a fine at this right and there were people that were pissed there were people from like i think PETA or a couple not to just on any organizations yeah i'm not going to share beliefs or anything but they were kind of pissed off by the fact that they had to actually go buy a hunting or fishing license because they don't support those kind of activities like, why do I need to have this thing to go on my public land? But the thing is, like, if you want to use the resource, it's kind of like a pay-to-play. 
you know? Like, hunters and fishermen have been providing for this for, like, yeah. the past, like, 70, 80 years. And that's the reason we have all these, like, natural resources that are available for the public. It's, it's simple funding. That's why we have so much pull in Congress and other places, because we spend so much money and time there. Like, every time yeah. people go out and spend money on firearms or spend money on fishing equipment, a small percentage of that is taxed and then sent into, like, the conservation fund, which is then used for all those things. And I know a yeah. ton about this. It's, like, it's all over yeah. a ton of the podcasts that I like to listen to. Um, and so I like to be educated on this, these kind of topics. But this is, like, totally not about, yeah. like, what my hunting and fishing lifestyle is. Hello, dog. No. <laughs> Dude, you have yeah. some great photos on your Instagram <laughs> and Facebook about you and your dog going out and, like, adventuring. It's great. I love to see She's it pop up in my feed. Dog. She's just mm-hmm. kind of like... Why are you being so annoying today? You usually act <laughs> this way. Yeah, I know. Yeah, she's ten months old, so super yeah, cute. So, yeah. <laughs> but no, um, yeah, that Colorado literally just passed that law to uh, limit people from getting into the wilderness areas without um, buying it. They, if you have a tag or uh, um, if you have a hunting or fishing license, then you can. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Colorado has so many uh, op- like open space places, and they're public. They're uh, the state of Colorado's parks never closed during COVID, which was great mm-hmm. because I got out here and I was still able to get out into the mountains. The exactly. Only thing that was closed was the national park. So national right. park was closed, which all and national parks were closed. How far away from the national park are you? about an hour and a half from Estes park. And then, mm-hmm. um, you know, the park's pretty big. So, I mean, it's mm-hmm. like an, you can drive a half hour, 45 minutes and from end to end of it. So it depends on where mm-hmm. you want to go inside the park from there. But right. from, from where I'm at, I'm half an hour from Boulder and about an hour and a half from Estes park. So, mm-hmm. which is Estes park. If anybody knows where that is, it's, it's beautiful, um, mm-hmm. area, but it's kind of like, it is a little, it's the touristy area, you know, yeah. like you drive in and it's the, uh, um, what would be a good place for the, so if you're from the East, probably kind of like, it's, it's a little Gatlinburg. I'd say Gatlinburg's a lot more so, um, mm-hmm. commercialized. And like, you're talking about ease of, but, ease of access, dude, Cuyahoga Valley National Park is like the most traversed national park. And it's like literally a minute. I could take a i mean i can't throw a baseball in there it's a little too far for that but i can i can like definitely hit a golf ball really 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 hard and maybe maybe make it into the Cuyahoga valley national park it's only half mile maybe from where you're i definitely cannot hit yeah i definitely cannot hit a golf ball that far but it's really close is what i'm trying to say it's it's just over the hill and down into the into the valley is is and you say like to the to like all my buddies it's like oh going into the valley drop yeah. down, go to the lizard, go get some, go get some wings down to the lizard right by the Cuyahoga river. And so yeah. that's another thing, like growing up, bringing a full circle fishing. Okay. I lived on that river. Okay. And so I've got like huge ties to it. And then like for work, like career wise, I've been like, so I had a couple different internships with Ohio EPA highly recommend if anybody's listening from Ohio that wants to do any sort of environmental internship, I highly recommend Ohio EPA. Um, great group of people that I worked with for the uh, ecological assessment unit. And like one of our survey areas was the Cuyahoga river for both years that I was doing fish. And so like I've spent not only a lot of time recreationally there, but also professionally uh, doing like biological monitoring and sampling. Actually 
because it's 2020, the Cuyahoga River burned again. We had a um, – I don't know if you saw – I shared it on Facebook. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, no. There was a tanker truck in Cuyahoga Falls uh, that there was an accident on the highway, and uh, I think it was a gas tank truck, like, exploded and leaked fuel on the highway, which then melted the highway on the bridge, and then gas got into the river, which was on fire, and so the river burned again. In 2020, congratulations, 2020, for winning the worst year of all time. Yay! Back to back to Cuyahoga catching on fire. Yeah, exactly. But at um, least this time it wasn't as bad as just like the water being just so. Right, bad. right. This was a this was a uh, a moment More. in time. Very small amount of pollution that got in. Um, the emergency response teams from like, Ohio EPA was there. There was a bunch of other. The uh, Northeast Harborville Sewer District was called in. To I do wonder stuff. Uh, if they called in anybody from Clean Harbors too. I worked for Clean Harbors, and they're one of the largest uh, environmental companies I know. So. Um, that's who I was working for for two years and our, uh, um, mm-hmm. field, our field service guys are the ones that clean up spills and things like that all the time. And an emergency a, response team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we have a, we have a pretty big crew up in, uh, Cleveland, actually. Cleveland's one of our bigger, uh, mm-hmm. crews in Ohio, bigger than makes sense. Crew, I think so. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if they were called in for that too. But I, if, they, if you had a crew in Cleveland area, you for sure had them. They were like, they had when hands on deck. I applied for a uh, Ohio EPA emergency response position and I got number two, um, which is like the best loser. (laughs) The guy who got it over me, he had like 10 years of experience. And so I'm not like knocking on him at all, but um, I was, I was really excited to get this. So I did a bunch of research and everything for the, for the, uh, for the process. And what I learned the the most is, is that when stuff goes wrong, okay, you may, you keep your cool, but you call in as much help as possible. You call in everybody, everybody gets called. And so, like, I bet you anybody that was in around the area, especially because the Cuyahoga is such, like, a river that everybody yeah. knows about, you know? Like, there were probably response teams from, like, the Twinsburg OEPA office, um, from central office, from people in the North- Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District. Like, a ton of people got called in. And uh, thankfully, like, I was on the Cuyahoga today, actually, for work, and we were doing a sampling in Kent, which is upstream, but people were out using the river. Everything was good. Everything was great. You know, and uh, it was it was nice to see that my river wasn't on fire there because I I mean I knew it wouldn't be obviously, yeah. but um, it's just I was just happy to get back to my roots yeah. on that river. So, but so when it comes to well, we'll start diving in a little bit more into your fishing and um, awesome. how that's kind of grew and kind of the growth from there since that's one of your biggest things. And uh, obviously, you've been fishing your whole life. You had that pond right down the street. Right. I had a pond. Uh, my aunt's and uncle's place that I'd always go to. So I, I, I feel that when I was growing up and now my dad lives right next to it. And when I'm, when I was back in Cincinnati, you can walk a hundred yards from my dad's place and fish for bass and, you know, just small little uh, bluegill and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff there. Sunfish. There's, yep. there, there's some pretty big catfish that uh, my uncle has put in there from the Ohio river actually. Heck yeah. <laughs> He's caught a couple <laughs> big catfish and, they're they're laying in there and they're there's some big boys they're I, i'd say they're at least uh, there's one in there that's over 25 pounds probably so some not too big but obviously there's much bigger catfish but that's a big catfish yes. oh like trust me yes if it's if especially is it like a do you know if it's, it's a flathead or not it's or? a it's a yeah it's a flathead it's a big yeah the size of my torso Dude, those things yeah when when we shock when we shock flatheads at, for work they'll come up and they're unlike any other fish. 
channel catfish will freak out. They'll like come up and like slap the top of the water and just do all this crap. And like, all the other fish in there, the, the flathead, mm -hmm. we have a couple channels and a couple cat, uh, flatheads, uh, flatheads in the, in mm -hmm. the same lake. So that's cool. The, uh, but what flatheads do when they get like, so for electrofishing, for anybody that doesn't know, you take uh, electricity, put it through the water, and that causes the fish to swim toward the positive current of the electricity from, from the boat or whatever equipment you're using. And you, they then get stunned. You net them, put them in a live well, and then go back and then count them and sort them for uh, doing like a biological survey. And then that coupled with a macroinvertebrate survey and a water chemistry survey allows people to make an overall analysis of a river or a system to then provide information about human health, water quality issues, anything like that. That's like yeah. the really short spiel on what I do for work. Okay. Um, but when flathead catfish get zapped, okay, when we stun them, they come up and they just open their mouth real wide and they just say like, uh, like that's what they do. They don't roll. They don't slap around. So they're really kind of hard to find sometimes because they're just giant brown, dark blobs. creatures, blobs <laughs> that come up. And it's just all you see is just big open mouth. And it's really cool because you freak out. You're like, oh, my God, big flathead. And so I'm sure like can you like throw like a photo up in the deal or not? Uh, I can post. Yeah. During this part, I have to remember. Okay. That. Yeah. But just like write it down. Like a flathead. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll send you one that I that I shocked, and you can post it. Like right, you yeah. just put it like right here or whatever. Yeah. Ding. Anyway, that'll be um, something I can also play around with learning more about. <laughs> yeah. I need yeah, to get yeah, better yeah. with my video editing anyway. So. Mm -hmm. Um. No, but so like that's just something super cool that they they do. They're just a cool catfish. They're definitely the yeah. coolest catfish that are big. There's there's a bunch of like little catfish that are also pretty cool. There's these things called mad toms, and they have like a wicked amount of venom in their spines. And uh, they're they're really like kind of cool for like intolerant species. They don't handle pollution very well, so it's always fun to find them. Anyway, we're going to go into fish. Yeah. That's work fish. My my fun yeah. recreational fishing is what we're here to talk about, kind of. Yeah. Um. But uh. But that no, kind of so, led to what you're you. I mean, you're do you're working in something that you actually have fun oh, with in yeah, the first no, place. It's so <laughs> the the. The fact that I've had these opportunities to do these to to do this for work, like I I don't regret it at all. I'm always like super excited, super jacked up to go to work in the morning. Like yeah. it does not matter. <laughs> like I used to landscape. I started out flipping burgers, you know, like I worked at McDonald's as a cashier flipping burgers and then I went to I worked at like Dick's Sporting Goods. I sold fishing equipment, you know, yeah. it was my next job. I worked at a, I worked at a bike shop or it like a uh, Shout out to Eddie's Bike Shop in Stowe, Ohio. I worked there for like a month. And then um, <laughs> Dick's Sporting Goods for a couple of years. After Dick's Sporting Goods, uh, is I worked for a – I did landscaping for a, like a private company or for a, uh, a landowner. He had like 300 acres right outside the Cuyahoga Valley National Park, and I would go there. My mom's – or my sister's best friend's dad was the was the land manager there, and he hired me to, to landscape. And I did that for a summer. That was my first experience landscaping. Then – I got hired on as a Creel clerk for Ohio Division of Natural Resources, Division of Wildlife in Akron, uh, the Portage Lakes area. I basically, what my job was since I told him was like, I like to fish. I know how to drive a boat. I know how to drive a trailer on a truck. Hire me. And they were like, <laughs> okay, we'll do that. And so they gave me a boat and they said, go around and talk to people on the lake and see what fish they've caught, write down what they've caught. If they have anything in their live well, measure it. Okay. And then get back to us with all these surveys. And I was like, yes, I can do this. And <laughs> me 
you know me. I'm, a, I'm kind of yeah. a people person. I like to talk to humans. I don't, I yeah. don't have any problem talking to people I don't know. You know, I'm, friend, I'm a friendly guy. Um, but uh, the, like the whole summer, I, every weekend I was out running this ODNR boat and like just bothering people on the lake. It was so much fun. I, 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 and let I me see the fish you caught. <laughs> yeah. Let me, Hey, did you catch your thing? How's it going? Hey man. Hey, 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 how's it going? Um, and that was my, that was my deal. So I did that the week on weekends. And then during the week I worked at a garden center, which I will not name, uh, because it was a terrible experience. And I, I hated, I stood there and I watered plants for hours during the week. And then the weekends I'd go and I'd play with fish. And that was like what I did for a summer. The next year was the first year. So that was 2016. The next year, 2017, oh, yeah. I got my first EPA internship. I was, uh, my major in school was environmental science, aquatic sciences. And so I had taken a bunch of my classes. I had had a state internship already or a state job. And that helped me out with like having enough of a background. Plus I like to fish. Plus I know to drive a trailer and a truck, knowing all these things. Um, uh, I was, I was good enough to like be, picked as one of the 13 out of like 250 or something applicants for this position for uh, OEPA intern for this fish section. And luckily I was picked with another one of my friends who I grew up with named Jacob Jasonic. Okay. And he went to Ohio state too. And he's, he was on the bass fishing team with me there. And so we got picked and then we made another buddy there named Murphy, Murphy Cohen, shout out to Murph. And we all kind of bonded and became really good buddies at this EPA internship and it was a great time. And so did that for three years. I was there as a fish tech for 2017 and 2019, 2018. I was with, uh, the 401 wetland mitigation section, which was like a permitting section, something I needed for like a different experience level, which I really enjoyed. Um, and, uh, very happy to like have been, been with them. We're going back to work again. I don't know how this keeps happening, dude. It's um, fine. Well, I, it's because I brought up like the fact that you get to work do, and do what I work and yeah. do it, deal with fish for a living, which is fishing is like you said, it's your part of my I, life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's very much so my bread and butter. Like if I, if I couldn't fish, my life would suck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would have more time to do other things, which is like always you're fighting like for yeah. outdoors. Like, Oh my God, I could go climbing or I can go fishing or I can go shoot my bow or I could go off-roading or i could do any like i don't know there's a lot of things you could do you're splitting your time between the things that you like to do and if you want to get really good at something then you're gonna have to give up time doing some of the other things that exactly yeah which sucks which brings you back into the the circle (laughs) of the the, like the 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 timeline of like what you do with your your outdoor time this also my buddy posed me this question the other day um mike Every weekend you're doing something in the outdoors instead of just going and like hanging out with friends. Like, why do you do it that way? And I was like, well, because I only have X number of weekends. I only have a certain amount of time to be able to do these outdoor activities that I freaking cherish, you know? And so like, I do hang out with my friends. I just hang out with them like during the week, like after I'm with work for like a couple hours at a time. There's no like, I'm like, okay totally looking down at, the, at my screen over here and you and the camera's right here and I really should be like focusing there. Do you want me to look more at the no, camera? You can edit this out. I, right. No, no, I've been looking. That I, I don't worry about that. It's, I mean, I guarantee people are looking and being like, they're looking at each other. <laughs> right. That's what I right. think whenever I see it. I mean, I, I, I don't see people just staring at the camera. I think that's- Yeah, no, this is, this is definitely <laughs> a creepy view. Sorry to all you people that just had to look at my face like that. I apologize. Um. But, 
I'm, I'm out of I, – I, I piled up some jerky right here, and yeah. I'm out of my jerky pile. <laughs> All right. Uh, back to the shit. Yeah. All right. Back so, to fish. So with fishing, when you really kind of – so – It really kicks into gear. The time of year that fishing is like the number one priority is like m- the end of March. The end of March for bass fishing specifically is when I will like – and this was horrible during school because there was like finals and midterms and <laughs> crap that was like right in the middle of March that I was just like, I can study later. Sorry, mom and dad. I'm going to go, I'm going to go over to this pond. I'm going to go hit the river. I'm going to go do anything like that. But just like the time of year yeah, the that it year. takes off. Cause right now for people that don't know, I was on, there's this thing called competitive bass fishing where people go out and they compete in tournaments and you try to bring in either – there's a couple different formats, but you try to bring in your five biggest bass, and you bring in those bass, and you get paid for winning and having, like, the most weight. And so I, in college, my freshman year of college, the, my one of the guys that was at – I didn't go to OSU main campus my freshman year. I went to the branch campus in Mansfield. And one of the guys there, his name is Ben Wiley. I'm just name-dropping all my buddies. Ben Wiley, he was like, hey, man, you want to run down to – Ohio to Columbus to try out for the bass team. I was like, the what? He was like, there's a bass team. I know you like the bass fish. We've got bass fish. And like, you want to go try out? And I was like, I mean, yeah, sure. I guess I got nothing better to do. It's friggin' Friday night. I'm not doing anything. So we ran down there that next morning, Saturday. And I owned like three rods at the time. We'll get into this later. Cause my, uh, so much money. The, uh, Showed up for the tryout, little bank tryout. We just walking around this big pond called Antrim Park Lake, which is you know if you've if you've been living in Columbus, you know you know of Antrim. It's just there's a it there's a good familiar. like running yeah. trail. Yeah, it's a nice big yeah. lake. State record saw guy was caught out of this lake in Columbus. Um, probably put in there by some yahoot because I don't <laughs> think that they were stocked in there. Maybe a long time ago they were, but this one was caught there. Anyway, we went fishing there and did decent enough to be. Like, hey, you want to come back for another tryout? I'm like, yeah, sure. So, because I caught a couple fish. Next tryout was a boat tryout that we did, uh, like, on Hoover Reservoir. And I remember that I caught, like, four or five. And nobody else caught any more. Or nobody else caught more than me. So, I won that tryout. So, I was like, hey, you're on the team. And I was like, hey, cool, nice. I didn't know that this was a thing until, like, <laughs> this month. Yeah. So, that got me into college fishing and college fishing cost me a lot of money, but I <laughs> loved every part of it because I tr- got to travel around to different tournaments all over the country. I, I fished in New York, Virginia, Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio here. Um, and like learn a bunch of things and meet a bunch of new cool people. And I highly recommend anybody that's a fisherman that is getting into college, like look into like your, your, if your team, if your school has, if the university has a, a bass fishing team, and like go out and fish tournaments. Like it, it was a great time. I made a ton of friends and I learned an absolute crap ton about catching bass. Okay. And I've also learned that smallmouth are far superior to largemouth bass, uh, in any way, sh- every way, shape or form. They're just better. How um, so? but, just in fight or in. So they what, are pound exactly? for pound the hardest fighting fish that swims in freshwater. Gotcha. For sure. They're also beautiful and they live in places that are gorgeous. They also are, just more fun to catch. I just think they're more fun to catch. Now people can argue with me like people from the South where they don't have good smallmouth fishing. They'll be like, Oh, largemouth are superior. Spotted bass are superior. No, no, it's not. It's not true. You need to be a Northman and go fish for smallmouth in like the great lakes. I've, I've fished the great lakes since I was a little kid. Like that's where 
I learned to catch smallmouth and everything, and it's just a, a great time. And it it's hard to explain to like people that super aren't into fishing per se. I'm gonna crack another beer. Um, yeah. But the uh, it's just join a fishing team for those that are out there. But anyway, yeah. so I spent uh, the best the better part of four and a half years fishing for Ohio State, and after that, I fished a couple tournaments. Um, I actually ended up winning the state qualifier my senior year for the, for like all the, for like college bass, uh, state qualifier won that tournament, which then guaranteed me a spot at the college national championship in 2018. Awesome. Yeah. And that was the second time I got, went to, to a, a, a bass championship and didn't do very well at the championship. <laughs> Caught like one bass for both days that we were there for Oklahoma and out in Oklahoma during the actual tournament in practice, we caught fish. Did and that great was my friend. Up. Did great. Oh yeah, no. Just had a terrible day. Practice was awesome. We found a bunch of fish, but then everybody else found the same stuff that we found, and they just destroyed our stuff. Shout out to like a couple of our buddies that did really well at that tournament. Uh, Tanner Ward, Nolan Miner, Casey Lanier. Those guys did really good, and they fished for Kent and West Virginia. That's it. Goes back to like all the friends I've made in the outdoors. Right. Yeah. You make friends any which way, not even knowing you're going to. Like I. Uh, Tanner texted me. He, he was like, "Hey, man! Like, I know you're from like up north in Ohio. Like, we're, I got a house in Oklahoma for the for the national championship. You want to live with us? Like, I got a couple buddies staying over there with me." And I was like, "Yeah, sure. That sounds great." So me and my partner Bubba, which is great, you got to have a friend named Bubba. If you don't have a friend named Bubba, you're doing <laughs> you're doing life wrong. Okay, he's a good kid. But we stayed with him and made a bunch of friends uh, at that tournament. It was just a great time. Um, let's see, get into fishing, college fishing. What else is there to low? So as far as like the fishing seasons, yeah, summer or spring is the best time to fish for bass. So like you have March through end of May and or March through June. Okay. Very heavy on the bass fishing. You I'm not thinking about anything else. There's no, I don't turkey hunt. So I don't have any, anything to worry about going out and hunting in the spring at all. But that's like, that's where my brain is locked besides work and, and other things. Like it's stuck yeah. into, into this mindset of like the, the, the stages of what the fish are doing throughout the season and then fishing tournaments with my buddies and like doing all these fun things. That's like where my head goes after June. It sucks. Summer fishing is, is garbage in Ohio. That's why that's June. The end of June is the is when I start running around to different States and fishing. So I'll go to like New York. I'll go to Lake Chautauqua, New York uh, State, which is like the far west end of New York. Spend some time there. This summer, we went up to me and my buddy Trent, another buddy of mine. God, name dropping all my friends. We went up to uh, Lake St. Clair in uh, Michigan, right by the Detroit, by the Detroit area. And that was a, a bunch of fun with there for a weekend. And then I have a lake house in Wisconsin that we go to, northern Wisconsin, the Door County Peninsula, which, which is like, if you think about Wisconsin, if people are looking, okay, here it is. It goes off this way. And there's a little jut of land that goes east from like Green Bay over. This is the Door Peninsula. And so my lake house is like on that little peninsula up there. And there's phenomenal fishing there like any time of the year after May because there's still ice until like <laughs> early May up there. Um, a little cold. So a little chilly. Um, <laughs> not preferable. Uh, but I do enjoy ice fishing. That's another thing. It's like ice fishing is another thing I could be doing when it's wintertime and cold and nothing else to do. I'll go and I'll sit in front of a hole that's like, I don't know, eight inches in diameter and just sit there for hours and hours and hours and be content. Or I go skiing or I go play hockey or like 
all the other outdoor activities you can do yeah. during winter time. Shit, go sledding. I don't know. I do everything. There's it, there's very yeah. few things that I don't preoccupy myself with outside when I have time. Yeah. So. so with fishing, if someone hasn't really gotten into it and like, let's say they are getting into college and they want to try and get into like bass fishing or something like that, what would be mm -hmm. some first like steps that you'd kind of guess? First steps. Yeah. I, so there's a kid, another kid, gosh dang, that I got into fishing this summer. His name is Dane DeGeronimo. He is the younger brother of a really good buddy of mine from high school. And like, I remember when this kid was like half my size, I pick him up and I throw him in like a pool. Okay. Like he grew up, he actually like played football. He's now bigger and like weighs yeah. more than me now. Bastard. Anyway. Um, so I got him into bass fishing this year. The best way to get into bass fishing is to go with somebody who has a little bit of experience. And so like, I took him to the Cuyahoga river. We went to some ponds and like, he immediately was like, this is so cool. And so he's now going and joining. He's a freshman at UC. He's now going and trying to join their club team, which is like, which is awesome, which is something that I yeah. really am proud of the fact that like I got somebody else into fishing and now that's going to yeah. like continue, continue the legacy. That's all about it for me, you know, is getting that people personal, into the outdoors. Then that, some, then that person will get someone else into it probably. And, exactly. Yeah, he'll, he Maybe he'll get his roommate into it. Like that's, yeah. that's how it's for me. My, my fishing partner, the guy who I spend the most time fishing with, I came up from before, his name is Trent Richards, okay? And he never – went bass fishing until our freshman year of high school not high school college yeah because he would he lived like across from me and he's like hey man you like to hunt right and i'm like yeah i like to hunt he's like oh cool let's be friends and i was like yeah let's go <laughs> so i went to dick sporting with him we bought him his first fishing pole took him to a pond he caught some fish he's like all right now i have to spend a lot of money doing this i'm like yes you do and now he owns like a nice bass boat a bunch of rods he fished for the akron team he transferred to Akron from Ohio State. He fished for the Akron team. He uh, went to the national championship one year. He uh, did like he's he's now like pretty decent at fishing. Don't tell him I said that, but he's pretty decent. Like the other day we were at Chautauqua and he freaking kicked my kicked my ass up there like fishing. <laughs> but like it's just cool to see people like that you've introduced to it like become good and like yeah. know what they're doing and like it's there's definitely times when you like can identify the fact that people that are just in like you can like this goes for any outdoor activity you can yeah. id rookies you know yeah but you appreciate <laughs> the fact that they're trying yes and that they're and you try to give them some help like archery for example i was at the Saturday grove metro park for anybody that doesn't know about the columbus metro parks at Saturday grove metro park there's a free archery range you can go to they have free 3d targets down in the bottom there's like a little ravine that they have like there's a mm -hmm. bison there's white-tailed deer there's a turkey there they have a um, the grizzly bear they have a bunch of fun things you can go and shoot and then they have like bag targets and so this is a, a normal place for people that are like kind of new at archery to show up as a first day and there's always a bunch of us that are like semi-experienced there and we'll always offer help you know we'll always give people like some advice on like how to fix their form or like whatever to do and that kind of i the, feel that kind of digs true. into yeah the, the entire outdoor community i right. feel like you're if probably you're leading a, towards that yeah yeah, I was. <laughs> if you're a nice person, okay, not a jackass, not a dick, you know, you're going to like, if people like are not really expressing the need to learn things from you, but if they, if you see that they're like struggling or if you, if you yeah. see that like there's something that they could do better, like a safety thing or anything, you know, you're going to, if you're an, I feel like if you're a nice person, not to, like, not to butt into people's business, yeah. but you'd be like, Hey, I like, you could do a little better like this or you could do a little bit yeah. like that. Like that. For at least 
something that we commonly do climb, you know, shit at Ohio state. When I first got here, like I had like been climbing in a gym. I started climbing when I was three and like got like some experience from my dad and everything. But then fear of heights didn't climb for a while. Got back into climbing end of high school, college hit. And I'm starting to learn all these things and buy all this new equipment, which is okay. Shout out to my dad because he like, is very into trad and climbing. And so like we have a full trad rack that he was like, I'm going to go buy all this trad gear. You want some? I'm like, I'm like, yep, let's Hell do yeah. it. So I, I had like for, as far as like funding for climbing, he's been like super helpful. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, you know, I've bought trad all my own are, stuff. Trad racks are one of the, they're pricey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That and ropes are like the only two things that are like ropes really are, pricey. Ropes are still cheaper than trad gear. Trad gear. Oh yeah. Trad gear is the top. And then you got your, uh, rope and then you got everything else after that kind of mm-hmm. like, realistically getting into sport climbing is not that expensive getting no, you need tread climbing expensive <laughs> or more expensive but like we calculated out oh yeah. this is gonna hurt me we calculated out the like it's like two thousand dollars worth of trad gear and like all or maybe yep. just like <laughs> climbing equipment in general as like for the family so like my sister my dad and myself okay that's we we climb. Two thousand's not too bad. <laughs> no, 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 no. And that's like with a double rack, and then like anchor building materials, and like we each have a gree which is three hundred bucks right there. Um, we yeah. have, I don't know, and then like your harnesses and like just locking beaners and all the other things that go into it. I think it's like twenty five hundred dollars. Okay, set with like also we have like two brand new ropes, rope bags. But then you also go, you dabble into the like the backpacks and like all the other stuff that you get into because you're like, oh, you need like camping equipment as well because you're gonna be staying at the crag or wherever you're gonna go. And so like then you branch out, you you add a couple hundred dollars here, a couple hundred dollars here, and you get like we're gonna get into like the price of equipment now. Oh, yeah. So equipment then my dad are. was like, <laughs> my dad was like, well, this doesn't even compare to how much you've spent on fishing. And I was like, <laughs> you're right, it does not. In fishing rods alone, I was going to bring this up earlier. So I started out when I started like competitive bass fishing, I had like three rods. I very quickly learned that that was not enough because I didn't have the right, this is, I'll equate it to golf. Okay. You got your driver, your putter, your wedges, you got your, you got you, you have like woods. Okay. And each of those things has a specific purpose. Bass fishing, when you get into it, when you really get into it and you're going to fish tournaments and you're going to be competitive. Okay. There are different rods for different purposes and you can't do certain things to catch fish certain ways with certain purposes. Everything in like any sporting goods store that has like a fishing session will catch a fish. Okay. But the way that you set yourself apart is by being able to catch fish in each circumstance or each, each like allotted condition that you're shown like during a tournament around the water, like any day. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like fish will bite no matter what. You just have to make them bite by giving them what they want matching the hatch forage whatever so i have thousands of dollars which i'm not bragging i'm not <laughs> spoiled i work hard for my shit i have thousands of dollars with the fishing equipment thousands okay and that's all stuck like in this giant big ass tubware thing that i keep in the back <laughs> of my truck don't steal my don't break it on my truck um and the uh and my dad was like this doesn't even compare to what's in the back of your truck i was like you're right but now I own like I think 15 rods and each one of them retails at 100 bucks just the rod. You have a reel on that that's about 150 bucks a pop roughly. There's some that are more expensive, yeah. some that are less. 
And so you're looking at 250 per rod times 15. I graduated college, but I'm not super good at math. Anyway, it's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, in math just rods. That's my strong point. <laughs> right. In just rods. I am a scientist, though. You'd think I'd be better at math. Um, calc killed me. Yeah, exactly. Dude, calc was. <laughs> I had to take calc a couple times uh, to be able to get an A in it, but I eventually got an A in calc. So it was it was not a, a fun <laughs> go around for the beginning of it. Anyway, um, I feel that hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, um, that and chemistry. Chemistry wrecked me. Also, I got an A in organic yeah. chemistry the last time I took it, and it took me a couple times to take it. Like I failed it twice, and then I got an A. Like once I finally was like, maybe I should get a tutor and actually know what I'm doing. You know? Yeah. So it took me like. I was good at school, kind of. Like I could have been good. I could have been better, but I had all these outdoor things to do, so I had no time for studying. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, Um, it it all plays into what you're doing now, though. I mean, you. I luckily have a job where I get to use my fun things and things I learned for school. Like it's crazy. It's 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 kind of the dream. I'm not making a ton of money, but like it's still it's 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 building blocks to get to where you want to be. You know? Exactly. Um, and then I, I, feel, I, I don't know. I was the same way in college. I, I didn't have the best GPA graduating, but I also had like a ton of experiences and learned all right. these things and my networking and everything else. Mm-hmm. And that's the, probably the biggest thing, like even external skills and stuff that I learned outside of school is mm-hmm. it, so much so vast that, I mean, I don't know. I, I wouldn't trade it. I, I wouldn't change. I wouldn't I'm do doing. it over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah nope. I, I remember uh, same thing as you. It was one climbing season. I think I went to, down to the red like 10 times. And by the last time I was failing a couple classes, I'm like, I should probably make <laughs> Study. sure I actually like pass this semester. <laughs> right. No, and I'm that same way. So, hmm. but it totally worth it. I mean, you only go through that period of life once where mm-hmm. you can just be like, I'm just going to kind of float around and go down to the red every weekend and hang out and live at Miguel's <laughs> and eat pizza and drink ale eights until I'm fat and then go climb and burn it all off the next day. Exactly. That's, ex- that's exactly what going to the red was, dude. The red, that was a good trip. The, the, okay. So for everyone that doesn't know, me and Mitch are not like super great friends, but we met one time, yep. okay, on a trip down to the red together. It was you, me, Hannah, and uh, Nick Motes, yeah, right? Yeah, it was Nick. Yeah. Yeah. And we went and climbed Rochambeau and did like a bunch of stuff. I think it was Roadside Crag we were at. And um, we, we went down to uh, Mir. We were in Mir Valley. We yep. did Roadside. Mm-hmm. We, we hit a couple different places. I think roadside Land Before Time still, Wall. I think Roadside was still closed. I don't think we went to Roadside. We didn't go to Roadside? I thought we did. Did we? No, we did not. That was roadside was still closed. Yeah, I was gonna say roadside still. Roadside still. What was still closed up until I think our senior year. Yeah, yeah, two or three years ago. Because I finally climbed uh, Mm Rochambeau one of these past seasons. Which awesome route, Mm Rochambeau is so much fun. I got some Mm -hmm. pretty good pictures on my uh, Facebook from there. But I think I might have taken some of those photos. uh, It was. uh, Or was that a different trip? that different trip i was down there with Ah. one of the guys down there actually was a photographer and had his camera with him and got some pretty dope (laughs) Mm -hmm. photos that's a that's a for anybody that hasn't climbed at that area of of the red river gorge that is a four-star rated sport climb i think it's 60 feet 70 feet tall it's not super tall 
but it's like super overhung, eh, juggy. Not as overhung as Twinkie. <laughs> no, it's not overhung as Twinkie. No, you're right. But it's overhung, juggy, and kind of really pumpy, muscly moves to get up to the roof. Yeah. And it's a really sweet top finish. So you don't top out, but like the finish is really sweet, yeah. very strong, and it's really sustained the entire route. And when it's you let an go, awesome you route. swing. You swing pretty far. You take a nice yeah. little whip if you if you blow off, but it's, you, it's it was a great time. Yeah, if you fall off anywhere from halfway to the top, you're taking mm-hmm. a good 20, 30 foot, which is whip. always mm-hmm. a good time. <laughs> oh, for sure. But it's uh, let me see. I think it was. I think it's a twelve A. Yeah, twelve A. That one of the that easiest. Was, it's it's one of those ones that's twelve A. It might be. I mean, a lot of people claim it's an eleven D, just because. I mean, it is mm-hmm. pretty straightforward. The holds are good. Yeah, it's, it's really yeah. You know where to put your hands based on the amount of shock that's there. Not just that. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, in general, the holds are just really good. It's giant flakes. I mean, it's huge, really hard to mess up that route. Mm -hmm. Um, The one place that I've not gotten, I really need to get to the dark side down there. The, the harder, Mm -hmm. the, some of those harder walls now that I'm finally up to climbing 12s and harder things. Mm -hmm. Have you bumped into a 13 yet? I was going to this next season. Uh-huh. try my first 13a and i was training very well i was gaining levels and then covid hit and then i decided mm. and then i decided i'm going to move out west just on kind of a whim and mm-hmm. i haven't really climbed since april mm-hmm. or march whenever they closed down like everything i think it was march so mm-hmm. but whenever they shut down everything for covid was the last time i climbed and i need to get back into the community out here, join a gym and start going again and then start hitting up. There, there's so many places to climb, but it's a different type of rock than the red out here. It's the granite versus sandstone. So right. I'm I've never, I'm looking I've forward never, to it. I've never climbed on granite, but okay. So we'll dive into climbing. Cause I want to do this. I'm, yeah. I'm feeling it now. This, this season since, so I was living at home. Uh, because like, so COVID hit, I had a lease in Columbus, but I, yeah. uh, my, my family was like, come on home. You're not working right now because you're waiting for your job to start. Cause I accepted a position in March for Northeast Ohio regional sewer district to go up there. And, and that was going to be my job. But then they were like, we're not going to bring in any new people. Sorry. We we'll want hit. you to come in <laughs> next year. COVID. Yeah. I didn't find that out until like August. I accepted the position in March was supposed to start in may and be essential as of may and uh in august they're like we're gonna bring you in 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 february and i was like okay that's fine i'll find a filler position whatever but during the wait time i was applying for other jobs and looking around and nothing nothing bad i got yeah nothing bad about that they're great i'm super excited to go back in february it's gonna be a great job um but i spent like when i wasn't fishing (laughs) because yeah like it was gorgeous out and like the rock, like I found, which I am so upset that I didn't take advantage of this when I was in high school, but they, there is whips ledges, which have you heard about whips at all? The it's whips, in, yeah, I've yeah heard it's in Northeast Ohio, Hinkley area. Uh, for anybody that doesn't know, it is about, there's this little tiny gorge, uh, along it's the Rocky river gorge technically. Um, and there are a couple of different, there's about, I think a hundred something routes, that have been established and most of them it's, it's pretty much all top rope because you can hike around to the top and everything. There's like one bolted route and it is just to get up. There's this pillar. There's this Island. Okay. Big rock Island. Yeah. Um, 
that you it's a 5.3 R sport route. There's two bolts, and it's four, 35, 40 foot, and you basically have to solo it to get up to the top to place <laughs> chains to be able to do the, the, the island, okay? Yeah. There's, there is a chain around a tree, and there are four bolts that are sunk into the top to, like, clip gear to to set up an anchor, okay? And I'm pretty sure there's, like, another set of bolts that you can set up, like, a slack line across this, like, chasm. If somebody wanted to do it, I think that'd be a really sweet slack line. I'm not very good at slack lining at all, so I don't do that. But it would be um, that'd be something cool to, for somebody to try there. Um, yeah. And so me and actually Liz Nudek, you know Liz? That name sounds really familiar. She I, was in Mountaineers. She's a good friend yes. of mine. But I, that's probably she, why it sounds familiar. I probably yeah. She's probably hiking the PCT. Yeah. Yeah. She's like blonde, five yeah. ten. Yeah. She's hiking the PCT right now. Um, but before she went to on the PCT, we linked up and climbed a crap ton at whips and they have like between like 25 to 40 foot walls, all pretty much top rope, but there's some pretty good trad there. Like I've spent a lot of time this summer doing trad on this like short stuff, like only, only really needing like four pieces of pop for each of these routes. Yeah. Um, but it's like, it's decent sandstone. It reminds me of the red a little bit. There's like a bunch of those like little pockety, yeah. Like finger nubs and decent flakes. Some of the rock is a little weak. So I blew off a couple holes this summer, which I'm sad about. But uh, it was it, it, it was a good place for because while all the gyms were closed, you know, it was a good place to go yeah. and just like get a good pump in and like climb and practice. And we spent a lot of time there and planned up a lot of trips to maybe going to like Seneca and the Red this fall. Seneca um, would be cool. Yeah, I've not yeah. been to Seneca. I, I know yeah. New River, if you get – uh, it's too late now. But have you – you know, it's the uh, – I forget what they called it, the, the redneck hoopla. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. That was the first experience I had with Mountaineers. First experience. I have a, gr- a bunch of fun stories about that. Uh, I know slightly drunken experience. Was, <laughs> hoopla was fun. I went one year, and then after that, I went two times by myself to the New River Gorge. Mm-hmm. and rented out a boat and did free solo or uh deep water solo climbing there which is mm-hmm. it's one of the few places in america that has some really good deep water solo routes yeah and it's it's a great if you're able to do it but mm-hmm. i know it's technically illegal to cliff jump there the, the site it's weird because it doesn't say anything about deep water soloing oh i i just down climbed uh, yeah <laughs> but no well, it, that was somerville lake was really cool yeah, Somerville Lake's beautiful. So, oh my God, like get out of the woods, man. Like that's another like, if you're gonna use public places, please be respectful. Please use like common sense and don't destroy or degrade our public public spaces. Those yeah. same group of kids came down and like graffitied my favorite freaking trad route. They wrote penis on the freaking bottom of the cliff because that's where we were hanging out when we yelled at yeah. them, and like. That's another thing that like just drives me up a wall is like people like degrading our natural spaces. Oh my God. Absolutely drives me insane. You know that there's millions of people that, especially like the national parks, when, when you go up and there's like stuff carved into rocks or things Mm -hmm. like that. Trees, I mean, trees are bad too, but I mean, it's not as permanent. Yeah. Because a tree will eventually die and not be there. And then some, another tree will, the rock will grow in its place. The rock will technically erode. Erode. Okay. Yeah. Well, like 
<laughs> in geologic time take? scale. <laughs> geologic time scale, you know. Yeah. But it's a blip for a tree. Still, <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. I, I, I'm sure that you saw the pictures. I was just up at, uh, if you ever get out here and get a chance in the Rocky Mountain National Park, do the mm -hmm. um, sky pond. It's, you can bring your fishing, yeah. you can bring your fishing pole. I saw people with their poles in there. You can bring your fishing pole in there and hunt mm -hmm. and, uh, and uh, fish. Fish, fish these lakes up mm -hmm. in the Rocky Mountain National Park. And, and there's trout probably. These, yeah. It's up in mm -hmm. the, it's, it's up in the, um, the snow mount lake. It's all the mountain lakes. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's just a beautiful, beautiful environment. Have you done Democrat and Bross and uh, there's like a, there's four peaks, the, the four, the four 14ers that are like all like super close to each other. Have you done those yet? Where at? I, I don't know if I've done that. I've only climbed one 14 or so far. Uh, okay. Well, you got, so. you got to step those numbers up, Mr. Colorado. <laughs> Come on, dude. I've done yeah. a lot more. Uh, I, I've been working it up with my dog and working her into it, which she seems to be doing just fine. So, but I would assume she's doing I've fine. Done, German, I've young done, German Shepherd like that. Uh, German Shepherd. She's actually a German Shepherd Blue Healer. So, oh, okay. Uh, okay, a ton of energy. <laughs> but she she loves being out there. I mean, she'll she'll go till she dies for me already. <laughs> All right, let's see. So. It's by. It's actually south of Breckenridge. Okay, cool. So, yeah, what, I've not been that far in yet. I've been hitting a lot Buena, of stuff within Buena like Vista, a, Buena Vista, I have stayed in Buena Vista and camped there. But, I mean, there's so many lakes and streams. I mean, fly fishing so big out here. So many people. It, every river you go to, there's someone fly fishing in it, it feels like. Okay, it's actually the name of the town. It's like Alma. Alma, Colorado. Gotcha. I think. Yeah. Which is that it's north of it's north of Buena Vista by a long way off. By a long way <laughs> off. It's actually really close to Breckeridge. It's really not that far gotcha. away from Breckeridge. Yep. There's Bross, Democrat. That was the uh, that was the first set of fourteeners that I did. Was there's there was four of them in a row. Yeah. And we went up there and we got caught in a freaking snowstorm. Uh, and it was August. We got caught in a snowstorm on <laughs> yep. top of the mountain, like in this, like, so the way, okay, I don't know if anybody can see this, bloop, but there are the, these peaks that are all together right here, yeah. and then there's a lake that's right there at 11,000 feet, and then these are all at 14,000. So you have like 13,000 foot of gain from there to there, and we got caught in the saddle between the two of the peaks, and my sister was like, she started crying. My mom was like, we're going to lose the trail. We're crossing the snow field. I slipped and like slid down a couple hundred yards. It was great. It was a yeah. great time. And uh, that was uh, that was my first experience going up to try to do some 14ers. Yeah, mountains so, are unpredictable. <laughs> yeah, I know. But thankfully, we'd been, we'd been to like hiking out in Glacier National Park uh, a couple times or one time and then like when I lived in Colorado, I'd gone to Rocky Mountain National Park and everything um, a couple of times, but that was when I was a lot younger. And so really hiking wise, I'm pretty much, that's like of the outdoor activities that I say I'm good at. It's the one that I have the least experience with. So maybe I'm not good at it. I just enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But whenever we go places like, since my dad is super into it, we're always like definitely overpacked and overprepared for any sort of circumstance. And the other thing is like, I'm not a scout or anything. One of my nicknames in high school was boy scout. And I was not a scout. I have friends that are scouts. Okay. And 
they don't get called Boy Scout. For some reason, I coined, I was given the nickname Boy Scout, but I don't know. But we're always way, way over prepared, way, way over packed, and that's not great for when you're trying to be lightweight. No, okay? no, no. No. Uh, so, I don't know. We were, we hiked in with like fleeces and rain gear and everything like ready to go in case it got like kind of cold. Our weather forecast was fine for the day, but then all of a sudden, like off in the distance, on the other side of the next valley, we saw this like one giant gray cloud. It was just like steadily making its way across the valley toward us. And then we got up like to that saddle and we're like, maybe we shouldn't go any higher. And my <laughs> sister was like, I don't want to get stuck in the snow. And then it just started absolutely dumping snow on us, which was crazy. And it was beautiful, yeah. but crazy. Yeah. So. Type two fun. <laughs> Definitely type two fun. <laughs> and also that was like the second day we'd been in Colorado, like for that trip. And that was the trip. Like, bef- uh, it was after I graduated high school before college. So it was during that summer between yeah. the two. And it's like the, like, Oh, you graduated high school. Here's your summer trip, you know? Um, and so we went back and we climbed the garden. Okay. Again, which was the first time I climbed there since I was a kid. Like little, garden little of the, garden of the gods. garden of the gods. Yeah. In, in Colorado I need to climb. I, I need to climb there. I've been to garden of the gods, but I need to get Dude. a permit and actually climb. Mm-hmm. The, it's really cheap. It's not expensive yeah. to, to climb there at all. I, I mean, know I looked into it. I just need mm-hmm. to get, get down there and do it. <laughs> I was actually planning like, so for mountaineers, for people that don't know, like if you're in a mountaineers, you can like plant, you can submit and plan a trip to go on. Yeah. Like, and then get your trip paid for, uh, as like the guy who planned it, um, or girl doesn't matter. Um, but, uh, that was like the one I was working on that forever and it was going to be like a combo, like a couple 14ers plus a guard of the, a guard of the gods garden. climbing. Yeah. yeah gar- climbing the garden, which has everything from like five, six, five, seven, five, eight to like pretty advanced crack climbing and track climbing that if you wanted to get into, but it's not like super, super tall either. Like you can do multi-pitch there, but it'd be like three pitches is like the highest you can go there. I think three or four pitches. It's, um, yeah, it's not much there. I know there's more pitches at um, if you climb at uh, the flat irons up in Boulder. Have, yeah, yeah. Which is another place where I need to, because you look at them and they're just these giant kind of like triangles mm-hmm. at the edge of Boulder. And you're just like, I want to climb that. <laughs> mm-hmm. We have so. a framed picture in our house in where my, or my parents' house of kissing camels rock at the garden. And, like, you can see how the one camel is, like, kind of degraded a little bit. Like, its hump is eroded away. And then when we went that year, like, that picture was taken, like, in the 90s. And then when we went in 2014, when I graduated high school, it was, like, smaller than it was in the photo. And I was like, oh, man, it's going downhill quick. But it's so, for people that don't know, the Garden of the Gods is a bunch of towering red rock sandstone pillars they got pushed up when the Rockies became a thing and they just basically stood still vertical. And it's, uh, it's owned by the city of Colorado Springs. It's, it's public climbing, like public access. You can get in there with a permit and climb. The only thing you cannot use white chalk. You have to use like an eco ball, uh, or, or or use no chalk, but it's super grippy sandstone. Do not go after it rains because you will blow stuff out. Like you'll flake that scrap off so quick. They go after it rains, but it's, gorgeous climbing and i highly recommend it for anybody that wants to get into it that's where i learned how to climb um or not learn but that's where i started climbing so crazy but you yeah, should so you went there and just hiked area. around or what yeah just hiked around mm-hmm. 
And that, that was my first day that I was living in Colorado. I was like, I'm going to go out and explore somewhere and decided to go down to Garden of the Gods to start. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I checked out the Flatirons and then mm -hmm. slowly started getting more and more into bigger, like I, I just kept ramping it up <laughs> essentially. I like it. Started, started small and then just been going from there. So, and one of the biggest, it's a beautiful area. It's called um, Indian Peaks Wilderness is mm -hmm. a be beautiful area. Um, but ended up trying to get to a mountain lake there and it was early enough in the season that you were way going too much snow. Like, yeah. <laughs> Post holing on your way in. Well, it, it just was not, uh, solid enough. You needed snowshoes still. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. You'd be, you'd be I, post holing I had, if I, you didn't have shoes. I, I, I had, uh, micro spikes on, but that was it. Mm -hmm. And it got me further in with the micro spikes, but it, it definitely, it, it needed a little bit more time <laughs> talking about but, buying gear, dude. I saw a pair of snowshoes on sale at Sam's club for like $25 the other day. And I almost <laughs> bought them. I thought I was like, Oh man, but then we didn't have winter here. <laughs> like Ohio. Oh, that's a good thing to have winter. for when you're elsewhere. And that's such a good price because you're in the Midwest and they're just like, we need to get rid of these. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I'm kicking myself for not buying them. But like another thing that I saw that I almost bought, like I was at a garage sale for one of the outdoor like hiking, climbing shops up here by me uh, yeah. in like Northeast Ohio is uh, Appalachian Outfitters Quick Plug. Um, they had like a garage sale, like a gear, a gear swap. And I went to, the, to their little tent that they had set up and I found these pair of like mountaineering boots that were my size that were like would have cost like probably $400 brand new. And yeah. they were on, they, they were being sold for like 80 bucks. And I was like, Dad, 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 look at these freaking mountaineering boots. And he's like, what are you going to go mountaineering? Huh? And I was like, well, there's this Mount Washington trip for the for mountaineers that like happens every year. I think about going on that. He's like, well, blah, 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 blah. You're not going to go on that. I'm like, you're probably right. And so I didn't buy them. But like, I still regret it because that's like gear that you add to yeah. the cave, you know? Um, and then just, you I have to, for use. I uh, Nate Williams, who's a current mountaineer. He's trying to follow in the footsteps of, I, I, I'm sure that you've heard the stories too. After he brought it up, I, I remembered hearing about it. Mm -hmm. There was mountaineers back in like, what was it? The seventies or eighties that ended up cl climbing Denali mm -hmm. while in the mountaineers. And he's trying to follow in the footsteps of them and it's kind of climbing the climbs that they climbed in preparation. And then he's going to try and climb Denali next year. That's so, crazy. And he kind of climbed Pico de or, or Ziba. I forget how to pronounce it, mm -hmm. but the tallest mountain in Mexico, which is this 18,000 foot I think it is like peak mm -hmm. down there that's a volcano so damn he, he's done some uh, he he's he's on his way to doing it to getting there shout yeah. out to that dude I, I think I'd probably top out around 16 17 because <laughs> I don't breathe well at high elevation but you get the guys well, the thing that, about elevation is you you have to acclimate if you yeah exactly act, yeah so it, it takes living at altitude and working your way up it and mm -hmm. mountaineering is not mountaineering is not a fast sport by any no. it, you have to be fast at some spots but it's not a it's hard to go fast i mean mm -hmm. when when you're going fast is when you make mistakes and that's when get sloppy die. yeah mm -hmm. exactly so you have to you, you can go fast but you can only go so fast with still being safe mm -hmm. So the, uh, that brings up another freaking activity that I do. I actually just got into this last, last year, two years ago. 
Uh, it was last summer or last winter. It doesn't matter. I got into scuba diving. Okay. And getting into scuba diving was partially in fact, because I was trying to get a job in Florida at the time working as a diver for like this oyster survey. And I was like, that'd be a cool job. So I went and like got my scuba cert through Columbus scuba, shout it again, another plug. All these companies are getting free promotions today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, uh, when this is like a bumping podcast, they're going to be like, Oh my God. Like, can you please mention us more? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like later on. But, um, the, Beautiful. uh, we get actual sponsors. I mean, exactly. Exactly. To Brought these. to you by simply safe or whatever <laughs> the crap that all the other ones are out there. Yeah. Um, the, uh, so I got my scuba certification and that's one of the things where like going into it, not knowing anything, I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to like exert so much energy down there, like swimming and I have to swim fast and all this stuff. And then like you get there and you take the class, they're like, we move slow. You don't want to burn energy. You literally just sit there, cross your hands across your chest or like by your belly button and just kick with your legs a little bit. Just like it's a dive. It's not swimming. You're diving totally different mindset. And that's the same thing. You go slow, you maintain yourself, yeah. and everything's fine. Everything works out. If you but that's in a circum- If you mess up at all, I know that's especially in diving. That's when people, uh, because if you start to panic and breathe hard, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. The, the way that you, you're not getting enough oxygen. At that the worst point. thing that you can do in diving, as explained to me so far, is one, holding your breath at depth and then rising is the worst thing you can do because your lungs can explode. Oh. No, your lungs <laughs> can just straight up explode. Because if you if you gain, if you if you lose depth, if you get if you if you go up, get shallower, and you're holding lung, because like compressed air works the same way. You take a balloon yeah. that's full, this big, I just hit the ceiling. The ceiling is uh, a balloon that's this big at the surface. Okay. And you yeah. go down a couple meters, you know, it's gonna yeah. it's gonna shrink down to this big. So same yeah. concept. If it's this big at depth, and when you go back up, it's going to be this big again. So, you so if you have, your- don't want to hold your breath <laughs> in your lungs because they only have a maximum capacity of like a certain amount. And so if you have compressed air in your lungs at depth and then rise, your lungs can literally explode. And that's like the worst possible thing <laughs> that can happen. The other thing that happens when you're breathing comp- compressed air is it's regular air. It's not straight oxygen. Yeah. You can get certifications to dive with straight oxygen, but that's like, different levels of things and you have to understand what you're doing a little bit better. I have an open water certification means I can go down to 60 foot, which is fine. That's all I need to go to right now. I'm going to get the advanced diver. Eventually that gives you access to 120 foot of water and night diving, which is dope. That would be awesome. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, the, uh, for right now I'm good. But diving is one of those things that I never thought about getting into until now I've talked to you and, uh, David Roth just got into it too in the past year. And right. Like, no, me, me and Dave were talking about it. Yeah. So I'm like, I kind of want to get into it. <laughs> uh-huh. So I, it's something that I never even thought about. And it's one of those things that once you have it, when you're in like these exotic places on these beaches, you can just go get, a, you go, you don't even have to bring your own gear. A lot of places yeah. you just get, you just get the dive shop information. You have like your certification card, you show up, they give you, a wetsuit. They give you a tank. They give you the Octo, which is the um, little dangly bit that has like your respirator, your backup respirator, your gauge, and like your emergency hookup line or whatever. The, not the emergency. Your LPI, low low pressure inflator. There's like a bunch of yeah. different stuff. You take a course to do all this. Um, 
But anybody that wants to look into diving, it's just another fun activity, fun hobby to get into. But if you get into it, you can specialize and be like, I'm a diver. Like I'm a, I'm a scuba diver. I dive everywhere. I travel, but that's the cool thing. Like you can travel around a a ton of places and go explore a whole nother world that like isn't available to you on the surface. Yeah. Okay. And that goes into fish. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder if, uh, so I, one of the coolest places that I've swam in is this lagoon down in, uh, the, uh, down in Jamaica. And it has biofluorescent algae. It has biofluorescent algae in it. And you swim in it at night and it lights up blue. You can literally Mm -hmm. see the outline of like your hand, like the exact outline. And it looks when you smack the water or something or what? Underwater. So like you're you're Mm. moving your hand like this underwater and it leaves the outline of your so you push your hand through the water and you have the outline of your hand behind it. So that's super cool. You're swimming every move that you make, it all lights up and I mean, there's different places in the world, different colors, but the one down there is blue. And I, night diving there with that would be, but it's not that. I I don't know how how deep it gets mm-hmm. like, with with it still being that way. I don't know if because that might only the be the top the top yeah x amount of feet of the water column it's, because okay it gets you think excited about algae. by the 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 light the sunlight hits it and mm-hmm. gives it that energy for the night and I, right I, i'm pretty sure that's what it is i think it is the only first like couple feet mm-hmm. well that's because w- that's yeah. where the algae is gonna yes. be able to get appropriate sunlight like doesn't we take talk long about, like, for it. <laughs> it doesn't take yeah. long for sunlight to go way down real fast mm-hmm. I, I i've seen the graph and it has like the, the layer of water and like what percentage of lights getting through and how quickly that drops it down. dissipates yeah. yeah yeah no it's crazy if you want to talk about algae man i can talk about like the great lakes and how like harmful algae blooms are like pretty nasty and like algae nitrogen input nasty. and everything but i don't want to i don't want to get into more science i already <laughs> talked way too much about work i don't need to talk about work yeah. right now um but uh no it's it's a whole nother world when you go underwater and can breathe it opens up a whole new thing of possibilities and the thing is like so since i'm super interested in fish you know, I was like, I can't wait to like be in their environment and just watch and see what happens. Like, like, and cause you're always learning. You're always cognitively picking up information yeah. that you can use at a later time. And so like, it was just a whole nother like area for me to explore and learn about. Like, that's the, that's the greatest thing. Like, and anybody that says like, oh, I'm done with school. I hate learning. Yeah. Like that's, they are not a very like into it person about like how you're supposed to live life. In my opinion, sorry yeah. if that's you out there, but I don't really care. Like if, if I'm done with the know. school learning type, yeah. like actual oh. formal school. I am for now. <laughs> I am for now. I might go back to school and become a science teacher. Maybe eventually. I don't know, but it's, uh, but right now I'm very happy, happily graduated from Ohio state would and having you- a degree. Would you ever want to get into like spear fishing? Mm, I know you probably you not. <laughs> probably not because I, I mean, I, I'd probably go and do it once, but I don't think I'd like get into it. I don't think I'd yeah. buy my own equipment and like want to have like that be like a thing I do, unless I like somehow find myself living in Florida and it's like just another thing I can do. Because like, yeah, if you live somewhere where your opportunity of doing recreational things are limited to what's there. You know, yeah. being, being in the Midwest, you can do anything kind of yeah. like you can travel within like nine to 10 hours and be pretty much anywhere doing anything you want to do any direction. Okay. If you're in Florida per se, or like the South, 
you're not really you're not really able to get you can't really go skiing yeah. in the wintertime. You, you got your you can't really yeah it's niche kind of you know yeah. niche whatever it is and so you have your things you're going to do in florida they stay there spearfishing if i lived in florida i'd probably get into spearfishing or at least some sort of other type some when you talk about saltwater, dude, it's a whole nother ball game. It's a whole nother different set of scenarios of things you can do for fun as far as recreation. Like there's oh, yeah. so many like with, with diving and, and saltwater fishing and like all the different species they have down there. It's crazy. But if I couldn't like deer hunt or ski or ice fish, you know, I'd have to fill that time somehow. So yeah. I think spearfishing could probably take up some of that time. But then that's also talking about like moving to Florida. I, Florida's uh-huh. too flat. <laughs> There's there's not much topography there, dude. There's none. There's really not. So as far as rock climbing, besides gyms, you're really stuck same with, with nothing. Same with Kansas and those types of states. I, I don't see myself ever. I, I'm probably going to be stuck in a mountain state for the rest of my life. <laughs> now that I've yeah. moved out here, I'm like, I don't see myself moving back to cornfields. Like, <laughs> hey, I'm not dissing on Ohio yet. I'm still stuck here. So <laughs> I love. I do. I do love yeah. the state of Ohio. I like it's, the rivers. It's great. Yeah, no, Ohio's great. It does have a ton to do, which I feel like a lot of people don't realize that there are mm-hmm. a lot of activities. And I know uh, mountain biking slowly growing there and mm-hmm. a bunch of other things, especially in like, uh, what's the name of the park right near? Um, Alum Creek. Alum Creek's one, yes. And then uh, by uh, Ohio University, the the big one. The, um, uh, Wayne National. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... Ohio does have a lot. It's, it's mm-hmm. not the, a lot of the stuff that I was really into though. I mean, mm-hmm. climbing, skiing. I mean, the red was two hours South of me down at, down Cincinnati, which was convenient. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Convenient. <laughs> <laughs> but outside of that, I mean, now I live somewhere that has the whole range of everything and I can do my stuff in seasons and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, the ho- flow with it. Yeah. The hard thing for me, is it if like, okay, I want to live somewhere where I can do everything I want to do. And it's hard because I love the mountains too. I haven't spent enough time there since I've been like an adult. Yeah. You know, like I've spent a lot of time there when I was a little kid because I lived there. But then I, I don't think I could really appreciate what I had when I was there. Obviously I got the age of like three yeah. or four whenever we left to go to come back to Ohio. But, um, the, uh, I grew up around a great lake. Like I live on the water. So like to go out West, it'd be kind of hard to not have that same kind of access to water or water resources the same way that I do now. It depends on where you're at. I mean, um, Mm -hmm. you have a couple areas with a lot, like more. There's reservoirs. There's reservoirs. There are, you know? Yeah. Um, but if I go out West, I probably end up in Colorado again. Or Montana. Colorado or Montana would probably be the two. Montana, I had in the back of my head that I was like, Denver has, mm-hmm. at least for starting out, moving out there, more mm-hmm. opportunities and things like that. And mm-hmm. a little bit more centralized for the for the nation. For the greater of the yeah. West and yeah. Western United States. Yeah, it's a little bit more centralized. And now mm-hmm. that I'm out here, I mean, at some point I might move again. But it's a good – I've heard Bozeman is pretty sweet. I need to get that's, up there. Yeah. That's that's a that's a place. I've been to Glacier in Montana. That's like the only place I've been to in Montana. But when we were there, it was absolutely gorgeous. Glacier but that's like National northern Park. Montana. Yeah, Glacier National Park. Yeah, I need and to I think, that's the thing that I'm really looking forward to is now that I'm out here actually getting to explore these national parks that are within mm-hmm. 
and being from the Midwest, a couple hour drive is like nothing. Nothing. <laughs> eight hours. But like eight hours. Yeah, yeah. That's a. That's, I, that's I'd a, do that for a weekend, no problem. Like that's that's easy. Oh yeah, uh, no. My lake house I think is nine and a half hours away. I think it's six <laughs> something out to. I went to New River Gorge a decent amount, and that that was always a weekend trip. I remember I got a few friends to go out there with me once and we went all the way mm -hmm. out and they're like we're driving this far just for a weekend okay i'm like just shut the fuck up and go enjoy it <laughs> <laughs> we're like, just gonna go dude come on send it it's a it's a send you gotta you, you just gotta commit and go like yeah, my sends are normally and they ended up having and they ended up having a ton of fun we were on the lake uh mm. the lake up there and just had a great weekend i'm like see <laughs> told you totally worth it suckers <laughs> shut the fuck up we're going <laughs> i love that mentality that's the that's the best way like you pick a weekend and you just either like i have nothing going on let's just go or do it like i think my best sends have been like hey we're gonna go to michigan this week yeah. okay cool or hey we're gonna go to new york for like i have the a day lot and i have a lot more of those now that i'm out here next to the mountains where i'm just like there's been days where like i just I'm not feeling like a hunt. Like I'm like, I really want to go do a 14 or tomorrow. Do I really want to just wake up and do that. And then at a certain point you're like, eh, I'll, I just got to get up and do it. It's mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> what's your, are you a, are you like a morning person at all or no? Uh, no, but I kind of, oh, that be, sucks. kind of have to be for mountain stuff because if you, I woke up for my 14 or at, uh, which it ended up being, it was it, super eerie. Uh, because it was during the wildfires at like the peak mm -hmm. of like the smoke and you got up there and it just felt like you were in like Mordor <laughs> from, like, yeah Lord of yeah the Rings, yeah and everything's like hazy and dark and you're just looking mm -hmm. around it's like Mars or something it just felt like otherworldly because the, it wasn't clear you couldn't mm -hmm. see the next mountain range over which normally when when I was I, I, I climbed the next Square valley top, Mm -hmm. yeah one valley and then the next mountains over you couldn't see that far that's how oh crazy. my god it was, it was i'd say it was cool just based on the fact that it was different than any of the other hikes because it was such a weird environment to be in uh -huh. that like because it's a different color it, it's hard to it doesn't pick up on photos really uh -huh. but it's this weird just, haze yeah it's, you it's know it's crazy Earlier this week, so like Monday, woke up, got to work, and like the sun was like visible, but we had the same, not same, obviously, because I'm several hundred miles away from you. Yeah. But we smoke's had hitting smoke, Ohio. We, smoke's we had smoke hitting Ohio from the west. It's hitting all I the way to DC Cal and New York. I think it's California and Oregon. So, oh, yes, Colorado had some big fires, but they don't hold a candle to. Cal like California no. fire the the for Colorado they were big fires yes mm -hmm. but compared California to is getting California wrecked California and Oregon or uh yeah it's Oregon right uh mm -hmm. yeah my dad's really hoping that it gets under control around uh Crater Lake because he's got a trip coming up out there um dang so he's like hopefully it's like clear. <laughs> All my buddies that were in, in so School of Environment and Natural Resources, SENR at Ohio State, yeah. uh, a lot of my buddies that I made there, they went and joined, like, because they were, like, forestry. Yeah. And a lot of them transitioned through forestry and got into, like, fire and firefighting, fire control. And Pretty so cool. I think, you know, you know, 
Andre, right? Andre. Let's go. I think let's go. I don't. Was he in Man, the Mountaineers? He, he, he was in the Mountaineers. He worked, he worked at the OAC. Glasses, okay, blonde kid, yes, kind of yes. tall. Yeah. Yes. He's out fighting fires somewhere out west right now. And, like, I keep seeing on his, like, Instagram or Facebook feed. And, yeah. like, shout out to him. I just watched, not uh, this year, I, I just really watched. I to get a, a Wildlands firefighter on this podcast. I, I, you need to. They, see how they got into it and what led to their path to getting. Dude, get him on here, man. I'll yeah. text him. I'll, I'll send yeah. him a DM and be like, hey, man, yeah, Mitch sure. wants to talk to you. And yeah, I think no, yeah, that worked out. Because Wildland firefighters, I also want to get on uh, ski patrol and start getting people on like from certain areas and like, okay, what led mm-hmm. to you getting into this outdoor mm-hmm. industry yeah. and this part of it? And so mm-hmm. that's kind of like the-, the next, I don't know a ton of people that are in like the actual industry of those things. So that's why I'm, I'm going to send you, and I'll be able I'm going to gonna send you his Instagram so you can yeah. DM him. All right. Good. So that, that'll work out. All right. Yeah. Shout out to Andrew, or he'll he'll be fine. <laughs> he'll be yeah. fine with it. Um, the uh, the movie that I watched that like made me really realize like how crazy because I had I I'd seen news coverage and everything, but like yeah. if anyone needs to see a movie about um about like what they're doing, the fire firefighters out there out west right now, I, I think it's like We Are the Brave or something like that. It's about like the hot shots that burnt. There was like a, a, a team of firefighting hot shots that like got died stuck in, on them. They died it, in Colorado. It was the, uh, yeah, it was out. Uh, I forget the name of the peak, but they went out thinking that was going to be a small, quick little thing. And it ended up the, the weather switched like that. And with the wind, wind switched directions and, and they just got, they just got toasted. It. And one guy survived. And he, cause he went and did something else or went was, it was somewhere else when like it got turned around and I didn't know that that was the end of the story. Like I was watching it with my family and then like, like my dad was like, it's such a good movie. You need to see it. And so like we watch it and then like this happened and it just blew my mind. I was like, wait, they didn't make it shit. Like, and it yeah. was like super sad, but like, so like such a good story. And I was yeah. like, Oh my God. And that's happening right now. Like all the people that are out on the ground right now fighting the fire. So like, it's the, crazy. Like, the thing is that happened at a time right before there was a lot of technology being developed. And luckily there, there is a lot of things that have come out since that fire specifically yeah. extra, yeah. like the radios have gotten better. There, there was no, there, there, there was the communication was a little bit harder back mm-hmm. then. And yeah, plus the tools that they have now and the, the just our ability and like how, how we can and see it with like our, our videos, like with drones and things like that and mm-hmm. really having a better understanding. And, yeah. Everything. So it, luckily the guys out there fighting, they, they have a lot more tools at their um, uh, disposal. disposal to mm-hmm. kind of use. So, but the yeah. uh, gosh, that's such a tangent. Wow. <laughs> it's but like seriously fire the fire out there is crazy yeah it, and i'm admit, I, I being a midwesterner it's supposed to be i mean a lot of it's going to be hitting europe they're saying the smoke yes oh my god wow it got up in like the stratosphere and just kept yeah. going yep jeez i didn't even know that was a th- that was possible to i get was all reading that, across. that uh on the horizon in like europe they might be able to see like the slight orangeness is pr- might be coming from the fires from the haze the from the way. fires yeah. in California. Is crazy. <laughs> Jeez. But let's see what else. 
hunting wise or fishing wise or outdoor wise besides uh i think i mean i'm, I'm pretty much caught up on like how i got into fishing and like where i'm at yeah. fishing currently with like the amount of time i spent thinking about it and gear and everything but and you talk about like i don't know do you have any other questions i guess with uh well i, I know that i've talked about this a little bit with a couple other people but uh with mm -hmm. climbing everyone has a like they're kind of like two cents on how to get into it things like mm. that and i know that i've already kind of mentioned it like with a couple of the other people like i said but what's mm. your kind of take on because climbing is one of those ones that i think is a little bit easier to get into uh as far as like outdoor recreation like yes. what kind of things can you can get into yeah yeah and we can even do this for a couple of the, the, the yeah. activities that i do but um for climbing i really think the best way to get into it would be to like just go to a gym I mean, start making and friends. <laughs> just talk to humans, like literally just talk to people and like talk to the people that work there, talk to the people that are climbing, be like, Hey man, like, can I get a catch? You know, like, or that's the thing like I did all the time at Ohio state was like, I went to the gym by myself without a climbing partner. Cause I didn't really have like when I first started going like a ton of people that I knew to climb with, that's how like I, I remember going <laughs> and I was like, I don't know anyone here. I'm just going to go talk to those people over there. Or like, I'm going to go talk to that guy. I'm going to go talk to that girl. And like, maybe they'll give me a catch and see how it goes. And I was just like, hi, how's it going? I'm Mike. Let's meet you. Yeah. How, you. What's, what's the beta for this deal? Or like, Hey, like, can you like, give me a catch? And then like, you'd start talking and I made like a bunch of really good friends away. People that I oh, still yeah. like hang out and Snapchat with today. Oh yeah. Know? No, it's but, crazy. Um, I mean the outdoor community speaking on that too is, I mean, I feel like more so than some other communities is so open to teaching and bringing new people in and mm -hmm. just i mean in yeah there, there's always the jackass i mean mm -hmm. the group. but i the feel schmuck. like there's i feel like there's less of them in the outdoor community the outdoor community as a whole i feel like is very open and open to helping people get into whatever it is that they're into and i mean at the, I mean, I, I, I've brought plenty. I think I've gotten five people for the first time outside down to the red using my gear. I'm like, yeah, come down with me. I got the gear, get you out yeah. there. And, and that's like the whole, and, <laughs> I mean, you doing that for them then leads to them. Once they have their gear, they'll use their gear to get someone else into it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's just this awesome community of people that. Yeah. The, and as far as like buying gear and like what you need to start, Literally, the only thing you need to start for rock climbing, okay, are shoes, harness, harness. and like you don't even really need an ATC a lot of the time. Like you can get, you can borrow one at the. I, I would argue shop, chalk is so cheap, and the chalk bag costs like five bucks. So yeah, and like you get there. your own personal chalk bag. Like those are two things. Okay, yeah, chalk. <laughs> you don't need chalk, but like it, if you want to, it helps. You know, it dude. Helps. What I, when I first like really got back into climbing. The chalk, more so than like actually helping me, it was a mental and it was a mental thing. Like, okay, I got to a spot where I can chalk up. This is good. I, I'm resting right now. I'm chalking and it was just straight mental. That's another yeah. thing that people don't realize about climbing is how much of a mental game it is. I'm sure you've talked about this on your podcast. Yes. But the, uh, but like the ability to overcome the fact that you have to get up something and you, your body's like, this is hard, but you're like, no, I got this. Like I can do this. You just shut yeah. up muscles. Hey fingers, you got this. Hold on to that crimp. It still okay. is different Lock than the shit off. What, what me and, uh, um, who was it? David, uh, David Roth. We, we were talking about kind of like the difference in the feel of, so 
from climbing to something like skiing downhill skiing or mountain biking mm -hmm. and the feel like when you're climbing you kind of it's you in the wall and you get this like weird you kind of everything else gets tuned out where with like mm -hmm. skiing and climbing you're going fast everything's happening super fast and you're like super you mean hyper. biking not climbing yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well biking and uh skiing yeah right not climbing mm -hmm. uh and you're just kind of hyper focused and you realize everything as it's like zooming past you and it's a, mm -hmm. it's a different mental game mm -hmm. when you're skiing versus when you're when you're climbing you want to be calm you want to be as relaxed mm -hmm. on the wall as possible because as soon as you get like tensed up and you're you're draining that energy which your forearms they aren't really that's i mean even the best i mean they, they they're strong but they're not they're not always that great you yeah. got to get a good foot you got to climb with your legs man keep moving keep moving yeah. too you can't you can't freeze up and yeah if, if you get nervous, stuck you're you also die. over you also over over grip then mm -hmm. and over gripping saps your energy super fast plus mm -hmm. if you do get scared fear is one of those things that just because yeah <laughs> i remember the first got time that i knew that i was gonna take like a big whipper it went from me like having like energy, energy. All of a sudden, I, I realized how far past the last bolt I was, and I'm like, "You're like, ah, oh, shit!" shit. <laughs> if I fall right now, that's far. And next thing I know, I'm like over gripping, and all my energy went gone. I'm like, mm -hmm, "Well, mm -hmm. there goes all my energy, and I'm gonna fall for sure now." Like, <laughs> <laughs> how so, how how much trad have you done? I have not done a lot of trad. I think I've done like a few things down at the red. At, uh, mm -hmm. What's the name of that easy? there's a lot of trad to the red there is and i haven't done a lot that's why it's the the I'm, was... I'm still getting i'm still getting into it but what yeah. i have discovered is that like for sport climbing once you start like doing trad and getting more into it and like actually like placing your pieces and everything your head game for sport gets ridiculous you're like this I'd, is fine this I mean, is easy this is safe you... After you've taken a few falls, though, I mean, mm -hmm. my mental game with lead, it took a while to get up, but mm -hmm. now I'm at the point where it's like you're you're climbing, you just climb past the bolt like it's nothing. You trust your exactly. Gear, you trust yeah. your uh, belayer. Once mm -hmm. once you've done it enough and you can fully trust your gear, it mm -hmm. sets it. You kind of are able to push into a whole nother realm, and right. that, that's what held me back for a while from doing harder climbs because you because you had a hard time with the trust to remember that it's it's all safe i mean mm -hmm. safe well relatively safe safe <laughs> <laughs> quotes as with all things in the outdoors it's exactly safe <laughs> the uh no but for trad because you're placing your yeah. own pieces instead of trusting like a bolt that's like for sure you know i mean not for sure but like enough so but yeah. like if you're placing like a cam that's like ah it's kind of shit uh no this is bomber you put a nut down that's like completely solid you're like sweet i got this and the thing is like you have to take so much more time and so much more energy to place pieces and use all your gear so as soon as like you don't have to do that again when you're doing sport at least for when i got for when i went back to sport after because like, yeah. i just did a ton of trad this summer yeah. um that's awesome though like the like clipping a piece in or just clipping a, a draw is just like like no time at all, no yeah. thought process for whatever going into it. You're just like, okay, cool. Next one. Let's go. Keep going. And you're moving, you're moving, you're moving. Instead of like sitting there holding, testing a piece, testing a piece, this one fits. Okay. Lock, clip the rope, 
extend the piece, like everything, or like it's it's just so much more time goes into a shorter climb for trad than a sport climb, and your head game is just like two different levels of how much protection you need versus yeah, okay, just clip it, you know, like yeah. there's it trad's one of those things I definitely need to get into, and I definitely need to find someone that's willing to do it with me and kind of mm-hmm. get into it. So I'm I'm gonna be looking for that out here so I can actually start climbing. You're going to get a rack? You're going to get a double rack? <laughs> at some point. At, I, I will at some point have a double rack. I mean, my my room is already half my half gear. I have nowhere to put my skis. <laughs> so, I see that. <laughs> I noticed the skis in the background but, there. Uh, no, my, my closet's not tall enough, so I figured mine's will just – they fit. They're, they're, yeah, you can't tell, but the wall well, – you can tell, but just – There's a line. The there's light, a little, it, little it comes gap. out a little bit. It comes out a little mm. bit, so it fits right there. Perfect. So that's sweet. But the, I need new boots and that's the biggest thing about a lot of these sports is uh kind of the cost and uh kind of getting into them. I feel like and I feel like for a lot of people, at least what I think, um getting into a sport that you know is gonna be expensive, you kind of just have to will like start saving up and if you really want to do it, mm-hmm. you'll find a way. So, yeah. And, and that's the way a lot of outdoors people are is like, even if we don't have like a ton of money, it's, we find a way to do the things that we love. Right, right, right. But the, the, the worst part I think is once you get hooked, this is not the worst part, but this is <laughs> like, like shit. I love this. I'm in this now. And now I have to spend my money on this. And that was like, the thing is like growing up, like, I was never into right. he, you definitely going out. Point. <laughs> yeah. Never even no, thought was, about it because all, all those sports, you hit that point at one point where you, you cross the threshold that there's no going yeah. back. You are. You're like, I'm in it now. In Goddamn. It. <laughs> <laughs> and that was very early on. I think that was like very early on for fishing. Rock climbing, I didn't really have to spend a ton to get into rock climbing because it was just like yeah. my, a new a new harness for me and then like – shoes when i blew out shoes and then like all the trad gear was like a co like me and my dad put that together and then like my rope was a christmas present so like that was really not that expensive the most expensive part about climbing for me was gas to get down to the red or get down to like where i wanted to climb and then camping's cheap once you yeah. got like a tent and a backpack I dropped, I dropped about when i finally decided to invest in a rope and mm-hmm. uh hard hardware so my quick draws mm-hmm. and all of that i think i dropped about 400 500 bucks and that's my initial yeah entry into it and that's like it's about 100 bucks for a six yeah. pack of draws if you want to get a good six pack of draws yes and so if you drop if you want 12 you're going to drop 200 bucks yep that's two and, packs. Then and then two you packs got which is 300 yeah. roughly and yeah. like what are you what are you rocking right now um i'd have to go look i i forget i have a I, I've had them for a while i've had them for a, a while because I, I hard gear is great i mean at a certain point you need to replace the soft parts of it but mm-hmm. i mean hard, hardware lasts a while so micro fractures are a joke <laughs> <laughs> that's what my one friend who's like a, a who's like an engineer said like they did like a bunch of tests on a bunch of hard gear like it, it can withstand whatever you do. You can drop it off a cliff. It's still fine. As long as you yeah. don't sideload it. <laughs> yeah. As long as you don't sideload the thing and have your 
Yeah, if you sideload it and put your rope or your where the fall is going to be on like the opening of a of a of a carabiner, you're going to be fine. You're, you're you know, fine. yeah, if then you're, you're fucked. Too, but if you're on the strong points. You're good, no problem. It's gonna it's gonna withstand twenty one or twenty to twenty two kilonewtons, regardless of what happens to it. Yeah. Um, but Sockier, we just actually replaced our um all of the webbing on yeah. all of our all of our older cams this year, which we did it through Black Diamond because that's what we rock is we have a bunch of Black Diamond cams. Yeah. Gotcha. And we bought a double we then bought another set of cams for to make it a double. So we now have a full double rack. Um of everything up to a four. Pretty yeah, much I can climb, climb anywhere. Ev- climb everything except for a giant off with. Yeah, exactly. We do not have a – I have everything but a five and a six. I have every – I mean, and like some of the micros. We don't have like a point yeah. one. I have a point three. Some of those micros get dirty small and I'm like – Like I just use a nut. I would just use a nut, honestly, because like you can just wedge a nut somewhere in a, in a thing yeah. that small. Hello, cat. I have a cat right here next to me. Do you want to be in the podcast? Come here. Uh, you sh- we saw your dog. Here's the cat. Yeah. This is Gomez, everybody. My roommate's cat. Ugh. Anyway, um, the no, I I'd use I have a a point three, point four, and then I have doubles of point five to three, and then I have a three and a half, which they don't make anymore, which I love. Mm. It's a super great piece. Jordan Redding said he was gonna buy it. He, he wanted to buy it off me. He's like, you gonna sell that? I'm like, hell no. <laughs> Um, I know Jordan's but, uh, way into trad. He's super into trad. Oh he is the trad he, dad. Oh, I, yes. I, I just remember being at Ohio State and him talking about taking falls on, like, the smallest mm-hmm. shit that's, like, an overhanging crack. And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you don't know fear until you take a fall and you know that you're falling on a piece of gear that is garbage. not sure about. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you, when you're falling on crap gear and you're going to unzip the entire wall. Not good. Um, but no, I've heard, I've heard his stories too. He's a good dude. Yeah. Um, but this, uh, no, so a three and a half and then my biggest piece I have is a four, a big four, but it's like, that's, that's the rack in it. And then we also have a double set of nuts and like all the extension pieces, like slings and everything you need. And it's, it's a good, it's a good rack. It's heavy. It's not super light. You know, the older, the older year. Obviously you guys already had the one, but if somebody were to buy full rack i mean i know that a lot of people, what do i recommend yeah for like if you're getting into trad you yeah. want a set of stoppers okay which is just like nuts okay and that comes in like stuff that's the size of i don't know what how they there's like a numbering system to it but you want something that like is definitely like half the width of your pinky okay all the way up to like bigger than your thumb okay for nuts all right and then and that'll be like six or eight different ones or maybe even 10. Okay. Those are cheaper than cams. And those are cheaper than cams. Okay. And then you can get hexes, which are kind of like an auto camming device. Like if you fall on a hex, it'll like lock into a certain position, but it's more like a nut because it's a set width and diameter or or it's a set width, but it's auto camming because the way that the wire goes in through the thing, it like when you fall on it, it's pulling down at like a weird angle. And it locks into place. Cams, for those that don't know, I'm sure that they will know by the time they listen to this podcast, is a it's a it's a plunger. If I had some, I'd freaking get them, but I don't have any with me. Um, That's fine. But it it's basically like an auto device where you can uh, crunch it together 
and then the lobes of the can, which is what you put into the crack of the of the wall, um, condense. And then when you put it in, you release the plunger, and then they expand to to fit into the wall, and they come in a bunch of different sizes. So that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about like a point three to a four. There's those are all different sizes of camming equipment, and that there's a bunch of different brands. There's Black Diamond, there's Petzl, there's all these other different like brands. I use Black Diamond ones just because they're affordable, and I got them from REI and whatever. I can use my my membership to get the 20% dividend at the end of the year. So I decided to do the REI deal. Gets but, you um, 20% off essentially. <laughs> exactly. 20% off of everything in the store always. Yeah. Um, which I highly recommend another plug, another company. Yay. Plugs for free. Um, no, their, their, their program. And isn't, is, I thought it was 5%. I don't know. I mean, but you get, it's not 20, is it 20, is it, 20, it, was is it not twenty percent? It's five. It Whatever. Five. Sorry, Ari. I, like I got a your ton numbers on. Because I, I know it's it's. You get money back. A little at the end, you can buy mm-hmm. something for fun at the end of the year. Always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And last year, oh my god, this next year is going to be huge. How big the dividend is? Because we bought like the rack and we bought like a bunch of climbing shoes. It's going to be nuts how much money I have to spend at REI next year. But it's it's that, that doesn't matter right now. Um, the but okay, so going back into it. For a trad rack, you're going to spend like 60 to $80 per cam. And I would recommend getting like a 0.5 to like a three. And that'll cover you like a 0.5, a one, a two, a three, like four cams. And that would cover you for like most of the stuff. And if you wanted to get go smaller, go like a 0.3, a 0.5. A, a one, a two, or no, 0. 0.3, 0. 0.5, 0.75, one, two, three. Get five or six cams, okay? And then a set of nuts. And that'll cover you for pretty much any sort of beginner trad that you want to do, okay? And then you want to get like single length slings, get like four, and then th- two or three double length slings as your extension pieces. And you're going to be able to climb depending on how spaced out you want to place your gear, like you can climb anything from like 20 foot to like 50 or 60 foot with that amount of gear, depending on like the size of rack. And a lot of times in a lot of the guidebooks that you're going to get into, you'll, they'll, they'll say at the bottom of like a trad rack or a, a trad route, they'll say like a single rack or like a double rack required, or like you need this piece for sure on this one crux move. Like they'll say that at most per se, uh, uh, guidebooks yeah. for climbing, like at least the Red River Gorge has like uh, information or like the new they have information in their in their guidebooks. So and then you've already talked about getting into fishing, and then I guess kind of the last thing for because I feel like hunting is one of those things that unless your family does it, it's hard to get into. Yeah, right. Um, as far as getting into hunting, I think the the easiest way to do it would be to just first off hunting for people that don't know you have to take a hunter safety course okay which goes through a bunch of different safety aspects because you're going out there with a firearm or a a, A or or a bow or some implement that is used to like take game and um there's a lot of safety involved in that so it's not a bunch of rednecks going out drinking beer and shooting things with guns that don't know anything about hunting it's 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 actually People that go hunting have to take certifications. They have a certification to be out there. Um, but I say like the, the best way to get into hunting and the, to go out and experience it 
is to be asked before you actually like buy a hunting license in Ohio, at least where I'm from, where Mitch is from, we have a apprentice apprenticeship license and you can get that and not have to take the course, but go out with somebody that knows how to hunt. And then you sit with them either, whether that's like deer hunting or duck hunting or dove hunting. Honestly, the easiest and most inexpensive way to go hunting would be to go dove hunting. And all you need is like a shotgun and you go out and sit in a field. You can wear a t-shirt and shorts. It does not matter. And uh, it, you go out and you just sit there and wait for the doves to fly in. If you have like a little decoy or like a little spinning wing deal and they taste pretty good. So it's the, the reason to hunt is not about like going out and just killing things. The reason to go out to do, to do it is for food acquisition, you know, and like a lot of times people don't really get that. I think, I think that a lot of people that aren't in this kind of community have like maybe negative, like negative thoughts about like, Oh, it's just a bunch of drunk people going out and, get, and shooting things. Like that's not really what, it, what it's about. Like, especially out in Colorado, there's a huge hunting community for people around like elk and, 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 and public land use. And they go out and they hunt and they, they get food for the family and everything. It's a huge community. And so I, I, I really implore people to look into it as far as like a food acquisition and uh, just like another way to recreate on like public land out in like out West. Cause there's so much public land out there to use. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, as far as like in out East, you know, or, or Midwest or Eastern States, like finding a friend that goes hunting and like asking to like to learn about it or asking to like, Hey, can you take me or something? So like I took a friend of mine hunting for the first time last year and she got like super into it. And uh, it, she decided to take her dad hunting this season. And it's just a good, and she's going to go out West and hunt with her brother and like all this stuff. Uh, That's so awesome. it's really, yeah. it's really cool to, to, to get into it. And if you like really do like it, then you can go all out. But if you, if it's something you try and it's not for you, then it's no, no harm to foul. You know? yeah. And then uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of backpack hunt, hunt hunting. Um, oh yeah. 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 Is, is that, yeah. is that something that you've ever wanted to try or have yes. done? Yes. I want to try to go out West and do that either in Colorado or uh, Idaho. I'm, I have an elk hunt plan for Idaho next year, but it's not going to be like a backpack and hunt. Uh, a Colorado elk hunt that I eventually want to do or a Colorado mule deer hunt is going to be one of those things where you pack everything in on your back and, and you hike in <laughs> and you hike in on in the mountains and then you pack it out on your back. Like if you, if you're successful, if you get a kill. Um, but that's like, that's like the ultimate out West hunting experience that I eventually want to have notched. I want to do that so bad. Yeah. And there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of online media. Yeah. And I just know that's one of those things that, uh, I mean, the backpack hunters that I've heard talk about it, it's, 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 it can be a brutal thing because you're out there kind of. In Definitely your... <laughs> type two fun. Definitely type two. Cause you're not going to enjoy it while you're packing a hundred pounds of meat on your back. Oh God. And especially if you shoot something like, so for elk hunting, for those that don't know, Elk weigh like 800 to 1,200 pounds, okay? They are <laughs> large animals. Your average white-tailed deer weighs like a buck 50. There's no, there's no way that like you're packing, or you're yeah. dragging like a whole elk, okay, out of the woods. You have to like cut it up, debone it, and pack the meat into bags and put that in a backpack and then hike it off a mountain. Whether that's like a mile, 300 yards from your truck, or seven or eight miles so you have to like haul ass and you have to get that meat out before it spoils 
You have to take care of that meat, get it on ice as quickly as you possibly can. Um, and so that comes into like being in like mountain hunting shape. Like a lot of people, there's a guy who some people don't like, but I kind of look up to him a little bit. His name is Cameron Haynes and he's like an ultra marathon runner. All he does is lift a lot, shoot his bow a lot and run. That's all he does. Is Cameron Haynes the one that's like, uh, one of the best, like uh, backpack. I think he might've been on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast. He was. Yeah, Yeah. 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 He's the one who got Joe Rogan into hunting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's the, yeah and Joe Rogan likes to hunt. Yeah. 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 yeah Cameron, Cameron Haynes. But if you look into somebody to like, yeah. listen to about like any sort of hunting podcast, look up Steven Ranella on the meat eater podcast. He's like, really like, I listen to him a lot and I learn a lot from him, but he lives out in like Seattle yeah. area and he has roots in Montana, but his show meat eater is on Netflix. Very good show. He's all about getting people into the outdoors and getting people hunting. It's a, it's like a huge like thing that they do. And they're all for public land access and public land conservation, clean water, clean air, clean fishing, like everything. And so like I vibe heavily with that. <laughs> and so that, that plus, uh, I don't know, everything else that he stands for is really cool. But, um, yeah, no, the Joe Rogan podcast, Cam Haynes was on that. Yes. Yes. That's, that's the guy that I was thinking of that I've heard. I've heard a couple other guys talk about it, like not as much, but he was the one that really dug mm-hmm. into like he lives the lifestyle of a backpack hunter yeah <laughs> that's, yeah it's like all he does mm-hmm. so and he's from oregon originally yeah. so he goes like what black tail deer hunting that's another type of deer species i forgot to mention was like black tails which live like pacific northwest um but they're like a mule deer that speciated over there and is smaller than a regular mule deer but anyway i the, guess uh yeah go go ahead Nope. You go. <laughs> no, 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 what were you say, um, Just, we're kind of getting near the end, obviously slowing down a little yeah. bit. I was going to see, do you have any uh, dream like trips for fishing? Uh, and then obviously you just kind of touched on probably one of your dreams. My dream probably. hunt. Yeah. yeah, no. And out West. So there's a couple different species. This is really quick. Yeah. Uh, what the hunting one is. There's a couple different species that I'd like to eventually pursue. I'd like to shoot an elk somewhere. Doesn't have to be Colorado. It could be Idaho, Colorado, Montana, anywhere. But like somewhere where I can go and take an elk because I want the meat, and I think it would be an amazing experience. I'd like to go after a mule deer, which I can you can get anywhere from like Nebraska, the Dakotas, to out west, all the way to California. Like they're everywhere yeah. out there. So that's that. I want to go on one, two, and the third one would be like a pronghorn hunt. I think that'd be pretty cool. I've heard of they are, yeah. yeah, pronghorn antelope. They are quite tasty, so I've heard. And it's one of the easier out west hunts to get into if you're just trying to start out with an out west hunt. From what I've heard, I haven't done it yet, but those are the top three. And then, as far as like a like an all out fishing trip, so I've been to a I've been a couple places. I've been to Alaska. To I've been everywhere from Alaska to Florida fishing, so there's not really like a place that I want to go that I haven't been yet. I think going to like California and fishing like saltwater off of like out of like San Francisco would be pretty cool at some point. You don't have any like overseas ones that like, like around the world somewhere. I think catching a GT in Australia would be pretty freaking cool. A GT for those that don't know is a giant Trevelli and it's one of like the most badass meanest fish in the sea (laughs) that swims. But like, 
I'm a, I'm a more realistic of like what I'm probably going to do next season. Okay. This yeah. year I hit, okay. I was talking about smallmouth fishing earlier and I was saying yeah. like smallmouth are my favorite fish to catch like ever. Um, I hit probably three out of the four best smallmouth fisheries in the country this year. Okay. This is a great year for me for a smallmouth. Yeah. And so I, next year, I want to hit all four again. I want to hit the, the four best of the best. And that is the St. Lawrence. Okay. Top. Ooh, it's hard to say which one is the best, but the four go in, not in any particular order. Yeah. The St. Lawrence Seaway. Okay. Which is over like New, like Waddington, New York area, thousand islands. Okay. Is up there. One yeah. Lake Erie in my backyard is probably like, is up there as well. Like, World record smallmouth, I think, has been caught in Lake Erie. Um, Lake St. Clair, where I went for a weekend send this year, also top four. And then Sturgeon Bay in Wisconsin, which is where my lake house is, that's the other the other top one top one. And I hit yeah. I hit St. Clair, Erie, and my and Sturgeon Bay this yeah. year, but I had, did not hit Thousand Islands. And so next year I have a Thousand Islands trip planned in June. And that's gonna be I'm going to hit the top four small fisheries in one year, get the slam. That's going to be my, yeah. my ultimate freshwater trip. I think saltwater trip, like if I could pick one that was, that, that would be dope that would eventually happen before I die is going to be like an Australia saltwater trip. I think it'd be pretty cool. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Australia has some crazy <laughs> just in general. You could probably mix in a hunt down there too. With, and- Actually, the hunting regulations in Australia are pretty weird. They, are. Uh, they have really? a pretty strict firearm regulations. Archery is getting pretty big in Australia because they have like very, very restrictive uh, firearm regulations, especially for non-residents. Yeah. I knew the yeah. firearms was, but I, I know that bow hunting's big down there. It's getting bigger. Um, yeah. The, and the other thing is like the only things you can hunt for are non-native species on in, in Australia. So it would be like, like introduced buff, like Buffalo, like which is like the Cape Buffalo, yeah. Um, and then like wild pigs. There's I didn't also realize that. yeah, I didn't realize there's also, that. Yeah, yeah. There's also some a couple other non-natives that I think you're allowed to hunt for, like goat species. I think. Um, but I think as far as like a like not in America hunting trip, I I have no interest in hunting in Africa at all, really. But a lot of people are like, I'm going to go to Africa and shoot the big five, which is like a jaguar, like an, uh, a, not a rhino, um, a kudu. Uh, or There's like a bunch of like the dangerous big game of Africa yeah. that like people can hunt. Um, I have no interest in doing any of that. I think those animals are way too cool. And yeah. wait, it's not. And the other thing is like in America, we have public land and wildlife that is unparalleled to anywhere else in the world. Because of like the conservation ethic that we grew up with, like in yeah. our country, okay, and so like we have more wild spaces and native wild places than anywhere else, ever, okay, or in existence currently because of like how populated and how owned the rest of the world is, yeah, okay. Like, there's really no such thing as public land in Europe or in Africa. It's all owned by like a country or a, pe- a person. Gotcha. So there's no like. And you have to like pay to, to be places and, or you can't be places. That's the way yeah. it just, that's the way it works out. Like we're very privileged in our country as far as like our access to recreation and, and public land. It's crazy. I don't know. Yeah, uh, awesome. And so 
that's why I think that like traveling to hunt outside of our country, except for maybe like Canada or Mexico would be like not the best use of my resources, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, of course, dude, thanks for having me on. I know, I know this has been like what, two hours about, yeah, it was awesome. No, no, it's been like two and a half hours of time zipping around with the, with this talk so thank oh, yeah. you for having me on no it's great I, I love how diverse your background is in the outdoors and being able to touch on a bunch of different things how you got into them and just mm-hmm. showing people that i mean a lot of the stuff you got into you haven't been doing your whole life it's it's you, you can always find a way to get into mm-hmm. these different outdoor activities there's there's pathways in it's not as daunting as some people think it is right and if if people want to like ask more questions about crap like you can always hit me up on my instagram or stuff if like if i don't know if you plug if you're plugging like other people's instagrams yeah. or anything like yeah your, your instagram uh, but, will be at the bottom so yeah so if sweet. anybody has any questions about any of the topics that we talked about feel free to hit up mike and he'll answer to the best visibilities i'm sure <laughs> mm-hmm. all right well dude thanks again man and uh hope you have a good night i know what what time is it up there it's mountain time so you're at like 840. It's 840. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's about 10:42 here and I got to get up for work tomorrow morning. So I'm going to go to bed here soon. Well, I've had a couple of my beers. I'm yep. doing great. Signing well, off, man. It was great talking to you. Sounds good. And I will see everyone else on the next episode.